Today's episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network, brought to you as always by ZipRecruiter. The best teams start with great talent. Just look at the Philadelphia 76ers vaulting into contention last night, beating up the Celtics. The process, Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons starting to deliver. We're going to talk about that way later with my dad. Uh, no one knows the importance of talents more than ZipRecruiter. They deliver qualified candidates fast, so effective. 80% of employers will post on ZipRecruiter. You get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. My listeners can try it for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. Meanwhile, did you not know all alcohol products are required to list their ingredients? Yeah, that was news to me. Bud Light is changing the game. They believe that we deserve to know our beer's ingredients, so they put an ingredients label right on their packaging. Bud Light, brewed with hops, barley, water, rice, no corn syrup, no preservatives, no artificial flavors. Find out what ingredients are in your beer. Bud Light, enjoy responsibly. We're also brought to you by the ringer.com, the world's greatest website, where we are pumping out Game of Thrones content right now, trying to get you ready for when it comes back next month. Every day on the website, we've had a piece. Today, Alyssa Bearsnack wrote about, does Tyrion actually love Daenerys on Game of Thrones? Hey, you can read that. You can watch our explainers that we started doing. Uh, the Binge Mode crew, they're counting down their 25 greatest moments. That started today. What was the 25th moment today, Kyle? I got about halfway through, then we're still barge and we did a pod. So I'm going to finish it up. What was, what was it, though? What was the moment? Do you oh, remember? No, I don't know. Uh, well, Kyle enjoyed it. He doesn't know what he watched, but he watched half of it. He enjoyed it. A ringing endorsement from nephew Kyle. Uh, these are great, though. They're counting it down every day. They're uh, they're meaty, as always. Um, and we'll see what number one is. I would My personal number one would be the Red Wedding, but I don't think they'll pick that. They'll, they'll go deeper. They're, they're savvier with Game of Thrones than I am. Uh, the Binge Mode Podcast, by the way, subscribe to that as well, because they'll be coming back, obviously when the show returns and we have a whole bunch of other stuff playing, including our Twitter post game show that we do on Sunday nights after the Thrones, that's coming back. Whole bunch of stuff. Uh, we have a lot of NBA draft stuff on the website as well. Our NBA draft guide has started again. And as you know, some people feel like the NBA, the uh, March Madness is just an excuse to get ready for the NBA draft. I'm kind of in that camp at this point. I didn't even fill out a bracket this year. What, what am I going to do? I'm going to, like, I, I, I'm, right now as I'm taping this, Vermont is beating Florida State by one. I probably would have picked Florida State. I'd just be mad at myself. Now uh, now I've, I've saved some money. I've saved some aggravation. Um, but I am excited to watch Zion, John Morant, some of these guys. Change my opinion on R.J. Barrett a million times. I like the guy in Gonzaga. Uh, that's how I look at the March Madness as the, as the feeder system to the National Basketball Association. We're going to talk about that later with uh, my dad who has just thrown his hands up with the Celtics season. But I'm putting that at the end of the podcast. First, we're going to talk to Ben Stiller. We've circled this podcast for a long time. It's finally happening. We dive into his entire career and a lot of the stuff that happened. And then there's some Knicks talk at the tail end. So get ready for that. First, our friends from Pearl Jam. All right, we've been circling this one for a while. Ben Stiller is here. He's not really promoting anything. He's just here because he wants to be here. I got nothing. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, you have that an Emmy run like six months from now? Or, yeah. or when is that? I guess four months from now. It's a weird thing. Yeah. Our show came out last November, I guess. So in the way, the cycle of things, it's for next years or this coming years, Emmys, which are way down the line, I guess. Was it Escape at Danamore or Escape from Danamore? Because I always to... called it the wrong thing constantly. Yeah. We had a debate about it. Um, it was Escape at Danamore. Escape at Danamore. Yeah. Actually, I loved it. Oh, thank you. Thanks. I really did. I've talked about it multiple times. I, I'm in on all... Pre- I've I've been saying for years that there should be a cable channel called um, Bars with a Z, and it's just prison programming. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, channel 558 on Time Warner or something. Right. And it would just be all the prison movies and TV shows we've had. So I'm always in. Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, there is a lot. There's secretly a lot. Yeah. And that, that was something... You know, I've never actually been like a super... Uh, prison genre fan. I yeah. do enjoy the occasional escape movie, but it's not like I was like obsessed with Escape from Alcatraz or anything like that. It was like eight hours. Uh, yeah, basically, it's like yeah. It, it was uh, originally we had it as eight episodes, and then we decided to make it uh, seven episodes and have the last one be a little bit longer. One of the things I really liked about it was it was an every week show, which I think is a, becoming more and more of a lost art. Where yeah. A lot of these shows now almost seem designed to get you to binge and to watch three or four at once. And this yeah. was not a this was a really deliberate show that wasn't meant to be like that, which yeah. I appreciated. Yeah, it was, you know, I mean, it was kind of when we had the uh, idea of it and we went around talking to different networks about it. We talked to Netflix and, and other streaming uh, services and. You know, I imagine if one of them had wanted to do it, maybe we would have done it that way. Yeah. But it, it worked out. Uh, and I think Showtime, you know, it's interesting because when you make those shows now and they all come out at once, it's it's challenging because, you know, there's all the attention is paid to it. You know, all the marketing kind of goes in for the, for when it, you know, when it's streaming. Yeah, it's basically 72 hours that you have yeah. to push it and then it goes and away. And it's really, you know, which kind of reminds me of the way movies are now too. Yeah. You know, you get that opening weekend. But when you're on a, a network that shows it week by week, it, it ended up being a great thing for us because we were able to have uh, the audience have a chance to to find it. And it actually, every week would build in its ratings, which, uh, you know, was was a good sign for us that people were getting into it. But And people could catch up after the fact. I, I think for like a site like the site we have, we just like it more when people do it that way. Like we have Thrones coming up now and we're treating it like it's the NBA playoffs, you know? And the the cool thing is like each week is its own week of content for us. But when like Stranger Things comes out, it's all at once and we almost don't know what to do. Yeah. How do you dole it out? How do you? You can't. Right? And you can't, everybody's you can't track different... how people are watching Right. Yeah. You might be on episode five. I'm on two. Yeah. Don't tell. There's a lot of don't tell me. Sure. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. I'm not there yet. Um, yeah, no, it's a really interesting thing because it, obviously it's changed the way people watch things, and that that was never a question back in you know you know when we were growing up that you know it was just you watch things when they you know like if there was a mini series that was going to be on like Roots or right. Shogun, um, Rich, Rich Man, Man Poor Man, Man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know that was like oh my god it's going to be four nights in a row yeah and it was an event and it was a thing I remember watching Roots and being like this just being like the most exciting thing and and then you know now it's all changed and it's actually made made me think about it when we were making the show I was wondering well wow are people going to want to keep on coming back to this because it's not going to be there for them. They have to actually make the decision to want to keep on watching it. You know, right. I, obviously you have to do that when you're binging also, but 
uh, it's kind of easier because it's also laid out the way, you know, Netflix or Hulu does it where like the next episode like comes up before the credits are even over and you, you have to like make an active choice not to watch the next right, episode. Right. <laughs> and, um, you know, so we start is, watching and fall asleep. Right, right. Ten and minutes in, then you have to wake up the you, next day. You're yeah. three episodes ahead. What it's also happened? listening to podcasts if you're like in bed <laughs> and you fall asleep, and it's like in your subconscious. <laughs> but I, I, um, so I really thought about that. I was wondering, like, will people want to come back for it? It, it? And it's it's almost a little bit more challenging in that way. You had to kind of trust that people were going to be into the vibe, and then also it's about prison and this world, which is pretty oppressive. Yeah, and I actually think that it's it's nice to be able to watch it and be in that world for a little while and then go away and have your life and then come back because it's, it's kind of like going to prison. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's why I'm I sure like the prison. There things. must be a critic who wrote that, <laughs> but um, you know, it, it's, but it's a really heavy thing. So I think it's nice to be able to kind of like go in and out of it and wait for it. And you had, uh, you had some really good performances in it too. And Patricia Arquette is like almost unrecognizable and, yeah. That performance is insane. Yeah. I'd actually be surprised. I, I mean, I don't know who the competition is for her, but um, she's it's a, like she just kind of became a different person. Yeah. It's interesting because I've known her for a long time. We did a movie a long time ago called Flirting with Disaster. Yeah. And um, I was going to ask you about that later. Yeah. And we, I, I love her. And we, we'd kind of stayed in touch, but, you know, not really seen each other a lot over the years. Yeah. And I just knew she would inhabit the role um and the biggest thing was you know she had to change her physicality and gain some weight and uh i think she, that commitment from the beginning of doing that uh, put her in a mindset where she just was a, a different person and then she also is just a great actress and she but it was funny because like i got used to her being tilly the character yeah yeah um, cause she just was that. And, and so when, when people started to see the show and they were so blown away, like, Oh my God, I don't even recognize her it, to me. It was like, well, that's just Patricia. Like, I'm, cause that's who I've been with for the last, you know, eight or nine months that she right. just was that. Uh, but you know, she has no vanity as an actress. She's not thinking about anything other than being the character. And, uh, and she's funny too. And she's, you know, she's, and as a person, she's really, um, generous and i think that as an actress that you see that in her work and she's just kind of there to be in the scene it's not about her well you accomplish something that always cracks me up when it happens where by the last episode i'm actually rooting for the guys right and these are terrible guys yes. I'm like no no go that way <laughs> like what the, what the no no don't stay in the cabin too long it's, yeah it's something about escapes where you're just always rooting for bad people yeah well i mean naturally they're going to be the protagonists you know because you start to you know, you're just watching them for that. And, and they're charismatic actors, yeah. hopefully, that you want to watch. But, you know, we felt it was really important to include that second to last episode. The flashback you, one. Yeah, yeah where yeah. you see what they did because these were not victimless crimes that they committed. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was, from reading about you over the years, it always seemed like, I don't know if frustrated is the right word, but you kind of wanted to be a director, but you stumbled into being this a plus list comedy star, but that wasn't necessarily what you expected was going to happen. I think I semi stumbled on. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, it's, it's true. I always wanted to be a director since I was 10 years old. I love movies. And I did struggle though, as I became a teenager and discovered because my folks are in comedy. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't what I wanted to do. I didn't want to do what my folks did because they were my parents and, I wanted to be my own person. And I was struggling with that. But then I discovered the comedy that I connected with when I was a teenager. 
and thought, oh, I, I want to do that. So I kind of was doing both. I was, and I was dabbling in both. And that's even when I was doing the, the shows that I did in the, you know, early nineties and, uh, the MTV show, show and the MTV show and then yeah. the Fox show and, you know, working with all those, uh, great people in that world. I, I always felt like I was sort of not of that world because I wasn't as good at that. I, and I really loved directing those shows, I yeah. loved, you know, directing the sketches and that was, and, and always wanted to keep on directing and, and directing different kinds of things. And it just sort of, then I, but I kept acting also, but it was, you know, in the beginning, it was kind of after the Ben Stiller show on Fox was canceled. Uh, I went, I directed reality bites. Yeah. But that was sort of, and but I also did a, a part in it too. So it was kind of, but, but at that time, nobody was really hiring me as an actor. It was just, I happened to connect with Helen, the writer, Helen Childress. And we started improvising a little bit with this character and, and, she said, oh, you should play this, play that guy. So it was kind of like, it just happened in that movie, but I came on that movie as a director first. Yeah. And then it sort of, I think, changed a little bit. And then when I started to do movies that people started to go to, and then it became a thing where that sort of would be like, oh, if you want to act in that movie, why don't you direct it all? If you want to direct it. And I was interested maybe more in the directing, but people were coming to me as an actor because that sort of drove everything. Well, the the, the TV shows... Some of the stuff that you were trying that, like when you look back, you're aping the style of like certain things, which totally. that was the one advantage other than the fact that the cast was young and it was just, I kind of felt like that was more for, I was almost the age of who you were going for at that point. I was probably junior in college, right. but you were aping a lot of the way things were shot. Whereas SNL was still a traditional, there is just a sketch show. They weren't kind of pushing the envelope with stuff like that. And you were doing a lot of tape stuff. And I actually yeah. thought that pushed SNL into, you know, trying to try more stuff eventually. Well, they eventually did. I mean, I think that that's the amazing thing about SNL is that it's lasted for 45 years it's or whatever. That, that Lauren has figured out how to do that. Um, but, you know, that's a live show. And that, that was just not what they were built to do. Yeah. You just couldn't do that. Um, but they started to do more and more, uh, you know, pre-tapes or, or little films little commercials I mean, yeah albert brooks was really the first person who right did that for snl and that was what i when i saw his stuff i that was what made me want to do what i did and i i wanted to do that at snl and that time they didn't really have the facility for it they weren't well you were a cat what were you like a well, featured member what was, I was it called? a featured yeah featured player and an apprentice writer uh but not for that long right no, for no because uh <laughs> because at that same time I got the opportunity to do this MTV show and uh, it was precisely for that reason. I felt I wasn't good at being a live performer and, and this was an opportunity to actually do, to direct shorts and to be able to do it in that format. And but that, that was, was when you were on that, whatever season that was, that, that was probably one of the most loaded casts they ever had. Yeah. And then you're just kind of randomly well, there yeah. for six episodes. You have to commit to being there. I mean, you know, I, it's 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 a really you know it's a very specific environment and you have to work really hard to get your stuff on the air which is yeah. you know, just it's always been the natural order of things so you know when you go in there as a as a feature player or uh, you know not as a main cast member even as a main cast member you still have to write your own stuff and you have to create it and I just made the decision at that time that I would be better off for doing what I wanted to do to to pursue that so did you tell Lauren that <laughs> you're like I'm out. I, that, we nobody ba left that show did. when they were yeah, in. Yeah, it was it was a crazy thing to do. Um, 
And he's like, maybe you should stay two more episodes. <laughs> I mean, Lauren is, you know, he's he's Lauren. It's a, it was a very hard thing to do. And over the years, we we you know we like grew apart and then came back together. And um and now things are great. We're actually working on a movie together. And well, uh, you've made some cameos too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, I have. Did you you've hosted it too, right? Hosted like a way times. back. Yeah. When was the last time? Uh, last time I think was 2011 or 12. I think maybe. you like doing that or no? I. It's, I find it stressful. Yeah, I would imagine. Performing. Um, yeah, I really enjoy having takes. I like, you know, being able yeah. to do it over and over again. So we just did, we did this podcast called The Rewatchables that people like. And we did Reality Bites a couple of weeks ago, actually, because it was the 25th anniversary. Yeah. And right. uh, one of the arguments was like, is this the Gen X movie? Because it was always like Reality Bites, singles, kicking and screaming. Yes. You know, so we were like, we decided it was at least on the Mount Rushmore. And then basically right. whoever was uh, in their twenties during that stretch, they kind of have their movie and it's not, it's not the right choice or the wrong choice. Yes. Reality Bites, I think has aged the best out of all of them though, because it really does feel like a 1994 movie. A lot of the pop culture references that are in there and just yeah. the things people care about and the fear of AIDS and what do you do after you graduate college? It right. hits these themes that were really relevant there for five, six years, I think in probably the best overall way of all those movies. But what, how do you feel about that now, 25 years later? I, you know, it's, it's interesting because it's so long ago now that I feel like it was very much uh, an indication of who I was then in terms of as a director and who Helen Childress, who wrote it, she was writing her life. And she was in college at the time. Yeah, yeah, she'd like I think just gotten out, and you know she was writing writing her world. And so for me, I was coming at I think it was a pretty honest uh, point of view for me because even for playing Michael in that movie, it was sort of where I was coming from as a person into that you know looking yeah. at that group of people. And we tried to incorporate that into the into the movie, but um, you know when you're I was whatever I don't know I was twenty seven or something and yeah so you know at that time i i think i thought i i think i thought i knew a lot more about everything <laughs> than i do now you know and i and there's a certain confidence you have when you're younger to go forward and try to do things like that and make movies yeah um so cause i and i know that because i'll look at uh, i see sometimes like b-roll footage of interviews that i did on the set or and i'm like who the fuck is that guy <laughs> what like what the hell did i think i i really thought i'd was the shit or something like it, it's crazy I, and 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 it's funny to look back at it now but i i'm at the movie itself um i i and i haven't watched it for a while i think i watched it maybe like five years ago and i'm gonna watch it again because they're gonna do it at the tribeca film festival we're gonna do a screening oh cool and have everybody from the cast and helen there um and and do some sort of panel afterwards but you know it, it looking at it it's just you know you look back at i look back at my choices as a director and things I would have done differently and things that I go, I think, oh, that actually, you know, holds up in that way. Um, but as a timepiece, I think for sure, you know, the movie, you know, the music and the music uh, the really held phones. up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Super big gulps instead yeah. of Starbucks. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. All uh, that stuff. It's we, really interesting because I mean, it's uh, everything has changed so much since then. Ethan Hawke was on here, I don't know, like six, seven months ago. And he had said he just randomly watched it in a hotel room a little, a couple months before he'd come on and he, and he was like, he did this whole impassioned, like, that's a good movie. Like he, he was really like proud of it. And yeah. he just hadn't seen it in a long time. That yeah. character, you know, 
he kind of became that character for a few years and then had to break out of it because it was such a distinct, powerful character. Yes. People just thought that was him. And then, you know, you got to break out of that whole thing. But. Yeah. And also, you know, he'd been acting since he was a kid. Yeah. You know, right. Like explorers and movies like oh, that. Oh, yeah. So, you know, I think. And then he, he was the dead poets guy for a while. Right, and then right. you got to break out of that. Yeah. And that was, I think, the same way it kind of, that was me maybe at that point. Uh, that was closer to who he was at yeah. that time. So, you know, I think that's maybe also what it tapped into. Uh, and Winona also. You know? Right. And I think she saw, or at least an idea of, you know, of of how she saw herself at that time because you know she also was a huge movie star and she's the reason the movie got made when she said yes to it right so everybody was kind of you know actually themselves in that film yeah so then you do cable guy yeah <laughs> which i was reading something about you and they were saying like after that movie you were in movie jail which i don't really remember that part i actually like the cable guy but i think i remember it turned into a thing where <laughs> Where people were like, oh my God, Jim Carrey's making $20 million? Well, come on, that's ridiculous. And people were prejudiced to not like it immediately. And then it was a dark movie. Yeah. I liked it though. But I think now it belatedly people came around on it. Yeah. It you was probably, not, that probably didn't make it feel better at the time. But It was an interesting experience. It's the first time I ever was in something that wasn't, that was a, a considered a failure or a bomb or had antipathy, you know, aimed at it from the press. Not that I'd done that much or, you know, had been uh, reality bites was sort of like, okay, you know, it didn't, yeah. it, it, I, I, you know, I was so naive to the whole process back then too. Like when you haven't gone through it, yeah. you don't necessarily care about all that stuff as much in a way, because you're not aware of how, how much comes at you in terms of criticism or yeah. box office or all, you know, you, they're, they're an idea out there, but when you're going through it the first or second time, it's, it's, it's different because you don't, you've never experienced it. So you don't know what to look for, what to care about. Or what the red flags are. Yeah, which is, I think, a good thing. Yeah. Because we never would have made Cable Guy if we really knew what, like, all those, you know, pitfalls in, in, in terms of making that kind of a movie for a summer, as a summer movie. Um, and, but it was Jim wanting to say, you know, I, I want to do this and wanting to take a chance. And he was so uh, powerful at that moment in time to just say, this is what I want to do. And then he chose to do something that was very edgy. Well, he just had one of the great, movie years of all time, right? He'd yeah. done Ace Ventura and The Mask right. and Dumb and Dumber all in one year. <laughs> so <laughs> whatever he was, they yeah. wanted to do, they were going to do it. Um, yeah. And I, I remember, I mean, I remember the premiere and uh, it was at the Chinese theater and like the lights came up. <laughs> sort of, the people were, I remember, I think it was the director of, uh, maybe it was uh, Ace Ventura or looking at me kind of like, what have you done? <laughs> this look in his eye, like, what was that? What you've taken our, our, our beautiful gym and what have you done to him? <laughs> um, because, you know, it was weird and it was dark. And Did he like it? Who, Jim? Yeah. Jim loves it. He was all in on Jim it, Jim right? loves it to this day. He yeah. loves it, yeah. And we, I had the best time making it. Up until the movie opened, it was the best experience. And then when the movie opened, and I remember reading a New York Times review and saying... You know, the first disaster movie the summer's come out. It's called right. The Cable Guy. I really I do like, feel oh, like it whoa. was 50% just his salary number coming out. Well, they It, they it was like a scarlet it. letter for it. Yeah, they decided to announce it yeah. uh, almost pridefully that, you know, this was happening. And then I think it also just should not have been a summer movie. And, yeah. and we didn't even know what the hell we were doing in terms of marketing or caring about marketing. I think I, if I had known more, I probably would have 
fought more to not have it be a summer movie, but I didn't know. And I also, I probably wouldn't have made that movie, you know? As we're talking about it, there's like a monsoon in I Los Angeles it. right yeah. now, just pounding <laughs> on our on our roof. Um, what, the other interesting thing about that movie, belatedly, is that Broderick's playing what would then become like known as like the Ben Stiller part. Yeah. Cause that was like the part that, <laughs> you know, you were the go-to guy for that part for, mm-hmm. I mean, you probably still are. They, you, how many times did you play variations of? I can't even keep track. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, it was before I had done that. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but now looking back, it's like, it's just weird that you weren't in it with Jim Carrey. <laughs> it seemed like that would have made more sense. But um, I mean, that goes back to, you know, directing and for me and like, I was so happy directing that movie. I didn't, yeah. I wasn't even thinking about wanting to be in it. And I've, it never was a thing for me wanting to direct and act at the same time. It just, it just evolved that way. Kyle, we're not picking this. up the rain on the... We are so picking up the rain. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. it it's kind of well, romantic. Like it really it. is. We're totally picking up every drop. It's bizarre. I guess it's, uh-huh. uh, let's talk about... Uh, so then you worked David O'Russell. In Cold Blood. You know the, the rain <laughs> shot in <laughs> Cold Blood? <laughs> hey, let's take a break to talk about the zone. The old way of watching sports is over. Stream over 100 fight nights a year featuring the biggest names in boxing and MMA without the pain of pay-per-view fighters like Canelo Alvarez, Triple G, Daniel Jacobs, Anthony Joshua, Michael Venom Page, Rory McDonald, and a lot more. Behind-the-scenes content leading up to Fight Night, a library of classic fights, original programming, everything live on demand, available on almost any device. Download it on smart TVs, tablets, mobile, gaming consoles. Get access to the brand-new MLB Live Whip Around Show Change-Up on every night of the week Jumping out of the best places they happen. Expert analysis from hosts with a fresh personality and even Adnan Verk, old ESPN colleague. He's he's running the show there, the, that uh, that whip round show. I'm excited for that show. Getting set up with the zone is easy. Just download the app in the Apple or Android app store, sign up by creating an account, then start watching across nearly any of your devices. D-A-Z-N, the zone. Check it out. Back to Ben Stiller. David O. Russell, 96. Yeah. Flurry with that. What'd you learn from him? Um, wow. You caught him early. Yeah. I mean, David is uh, a very, very creative and, uh, you know, he's, it, it's, it's a roller coaster ride working with him. And I had not worked for a little while when I did that movie and I read the script and thought it was so funny and met with him. And he was kind of like this mad genius sort of energy. Yeah. You know, and I think that's part of what he did. I haven't worked with him since, but, you know, at that time he was stirring the pot and getting people and looking for, you know, a way to kind of sometimes I think a a movie set can get very sedate or it gets very kind of like, this is the way you do it. And they set up the lights and the crew, you know, does their thing. And then the, the cast gets called in from their trailers. And it's sort of like, he, you know, the energy can be really kind of down or sort of like set. And he was all about like just mixing it up and getting right. people to, you know, be just like get their state to be something that's not necessarily like we're going to act now. And I think that's always worked really well for him. You, when did you start having people improv on the set with stuff? Was that like when you were doing the TV shows? Um, Give yeah. it, people try different ways of doing stuff and letting them go a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I mean, we would do that on the sketch show for sure. Um, you know, uh, Judd Apatow. And well, he I said were, that was a big influence on him. 
Really? Yeah. Really? Oh. Yeah. There you go. Uh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we were doing that show together, the Ben Stiller show. Yeah. And Judd was, you know, writing furiously and producing fur- at the age of whatever, like 24 or whatever. He was like, you know, arguing with the network and and holding the line and just like he had it just innately in him yeah. to be a great producer. And he uh, would write stuff out, but then we would always play with it on the set because you wanted to try to, you know, come up with joke options or whatever. And then it sort of became a thing. Um, and then in the movies for me, I remember doing it not in, I guess, uh, like in Flirting with Disaster, there might have been some improvisation, but not that much. Or like, you know, and working with someone like Noah Baumbach, there's no improvisation whatsoever. Right. He's like, at all. Do it's the like lines. Word for word. Um, but then, you know, doing like Meet the Parents movies or those those kinds of things, there was a lot of um, playing around. And then, or the Farrelly Brothers is a whole other thing where, I mean, it wasn't, it's was beyond even just improvising. It was just like, you know, weird like people would show up that are like, you know, their, their, their kindergarten teacher or something would be doing a dramatic <laughs> right. scene with you. <laughs> or, uh, you know, it's just like, kind of like, that was just sort of like any, like a free for all, you know. That's an amazing movie. I actually thought that movie should have been nominated for an Oscar. William Goldman wrote that once. And I was like, he's right. That, it's, that, it's, that comedy is never get appreciated, but that movie, it was so influential in the time. It was like, wow, what's this? Yeah. Oh my God. And I have it, to say, I think that movie holds up. I, me too. I, I, I came across it the other day and I was watching some of it and just, you know, it's just the tone of it is so much, it's just so much fun to watch it. And it just has such a good feeling about it. And the jokes are so flat out, out there, you know, they just go for it in a way that tonally it's just so consistent. And, and I, I and you just, I just enjoyed watching it outside of myself. Cause I don't, right. I don't really enjoy watching myself, but like Matt Dillon, there's so a lot of people throwing movie. their fastball in that movie. Yeah, yeah. Like Cameron Diaz is outstanding Incredible. in that movie. Yeah, she's it's great. Like, you know, her defining movie probably. Yeah, it's interesting because when I think about making that movie or like being in uh, Florida when we were doing that movie, I didn't know what the hell was going on with those guys because I, I really was questioning, like, they, they're just so loose. Yeah. Like, do they really know what they're doing? What's going on here? Because they, but they were having and they had, so like, much. Their cousins as their the bartender. Cousin, everybody's yeah. in it, um, but they really just knew what made them laugh. And it, they, I just my memory is them like sitting by the monitor, and just you know, just having a great time. And 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 when they laughed, they knew that that was. They were like, oh yeah, that's it. That's what Pete has such a great sense of is, and Bobby too. And, and they work, both work together and they do different things on the set, but. Um, Pete was always just really confident when something made him laugh that that was, and he made you feel like you could just try anything and, and go yeah. for it. Did you think that movie was going to blow up like it did? Um, I didn't, I had no, because at that point I'd never been in a movie that had really blown up. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I did have a sense that it could, would be really funny. When I read the script, I remember thinking and calling my agent saying like, this thing could either be like the, like one of the funniest movies ever or just be horrible because these jokes are just, you know, they're just like, if you don't pull them off, they're just going to be really embarrassing and bad. And, it's, and then, yeah. So I, but you know how, how it came out, right? Like in terms of like the, the way it built up. It was summer of 98. I remember that. Yeah. But it didn't open at number one. It, it opened. Oh, it was like three weeks middle. later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was actually, I think it was, I, you could check it, but I think it was like eight or nine weeks later. That's when it became it number one. Finally got to number one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that would like, and never grew, happen. Now. And 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 the 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 chairman of Fox at the time brought me into his office like 
two months after it came out, he said, I want to show you something. And he showed me this chart. He's like, this is how most movies open, you know, opening weekend, you go down by 50% down. And he showed me something about Mary where it just kept on steadily going up and up and up and then finally got to number one. And he said, just that never happens. Yeah. And, and you know, nowadays there's movies don't have a chance for that to happen because of the way that things come in and out of the theaters and the need that the theater owners have to make money in terms of, you know, what people watch. And obviously people are watching, they're not going to movies like that anymore. And, you know, in terms of the box office. So it's, it's, yeah, it's it much harder time. to get into that. You got to see that word of mouth vortex that every movie really wants to get into. I remember it happened with Get Out. Even yeah, though Get Out was did. marketed really well, right. but it still at some point turned into a movie where you almost felt inadequate if you hadn't seen it because everyone else was talking about it. I think you're right. That's like maybe one of the few times it's happened in recently. recently. Yeah, and that, you know, I, maybe it's because you know the window for when things get on television or streaming is so soon now that people like my son is not really into going to the movies. He's 13, uh, and even a movie that he wants to see is like I'll just wait till it comes on Apple TV. I know. Because uh, it's coming on really soon on Apple TV. You know right. What I mean? and, uh, and back then that wasn't happening. So you really did have to go to the theater. And then there was that communal experience that people get in a horror movie, yeah. which people still go for horror movies. But in a, to, I remember watching There's Something About Mary in a, in a theater with people and just like a full house of people laughing. It was, it was really exciting and fun. And that that just, was a really fun movie theater experience, yeah. which I think is its own version of a movie category. Because Get Out was like that too. It was just fun to see yeah. it in a movie theater. And I remember going to see The Matrix and having that feeling too. Yeah, yeah, You know, and it just was a different thing going to the movies. I don't know if that was also a different time or also just a different age when, uh, you know, that was a thing that we would do more. I don't know. Well, now the way they try to get people to come to a movie is, is basically the movie is so... You know, it's like Captain Marvel or something where you want to see in the movie because it's, it's meant for the big screen. It's just better to watch it here than on your 50-inch TV, right? Horror movies, same thing. Come here. It's more fun to be scared with a whole bunch of people. Like Us is coming out this week. Right. I want to see it in the theater because it's more fun to be with 200 people who are all scared at the same time. But for the most part, a lot of these movies, you, I'm like your 13-year-old son. I would just right. rather wait. I'm like, I, eh, fine, yeah. I'll wait two months. I don't and care. And I am too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I did, I went to see Halloween in the theater. Yeah, me know, too. And, and I really enjoyed that, you know? It was really fun. Um, but yeah, I don't know what to say. I mean, obviously the superhero movies and um, and those huge event movies have become what people go to the movies for. Um, it's, kind of, it's kind of hard with comedies these days. So that movie comes out for you in 98. But you also have your friends and neighbors in 98, which, was, <laughs> which I ride for. That's one of my favorite weird indie movies because oh, really? it's got that crazy Jason Patrick scene. In the steam room? In the steam room. He's <laughs> talking about how, I, I didn't want to talk about it, but that movie's crazy. So you have that one and then this one at the same time. I did then, four movies. I remember. Uh, oh, you did Permanent Midnight too, right? I did. I did four movies in 1997. Yeah. Uh, Zero Effect, Jake Kasdan's yeah. first movie. And then I did Permanent Midnight. And then I think Friends and Neighbors. And then uh, There's Something About Mary. Because I was watching it from afar going, is he trying to get serious on us? And then you made There's Something About Mary. Right. It's like, all right, we're good. I was just trying to work. Yeah. I had no <laughs> I didn't know I was plan. living in Boston. I didn't know what your motivations <laughs> were. I was just happy to get jobs. Um, and, I, and, and Permanent Midnight, you know, I was excited about playing that role and, and, 
uh, it was because it was totally different. And yeah. I, I really enjoyed it. But I, you know, I also was really excited to do Mary too. So I guess I should have had more of a master plan. But at that time, I was still sort of transitioning. It was an interesting, I don't know, time because it wasn't like I was one thing or the other. And I, you know, Reality Bites had done that too. And as a director, so it was just, and then when Cable Guy came out and didn't do great, it really was harder to put together a project as a director in yeah. that world. Um, so but, now after, after there's something by Mary, you realize, all right, this is your agents are telling you, well, hey, you should, was, you should yes. do comedy movies. There's a lot well, of money here. Yeah. I mean, then it was like literally people were then offering me movies as an actor to star in. Yeah. And that was the first time that ever happened, but I'd been, you know, doing it for since whatever, 80, you know, nine or whatever. So I'd been around for a while. Doing so when it. did you really have the leverage to make whatever movie you wanted? Well, like Zoolander. I mean, I think it was after there's something about Mary when I then I made a couple movies that didn't do great, and but yet I still was able to make movies as an actor. I mean, it's a, it's a weird thing. But you'd I mean, meet you'd meet the parents two years later. Yeah, but the before that, I had done Mystery Men, which had had not done great. But that was like the first movie that had been offered after the something about Mary and yeah, um, Keeping the Faith, and you know, it was. Like I was trying to figure it out and understand what kind of leverage I had, if if any. I didn't really understand it you know, yeah. that way. I just because I was just used to being. I was really happy with my career and what I was doing before this time about Mary. I was really happy. I felt yeah. like I could do whatever I wanted. Honestly, like I you know, I felt like oh, I, I'm interested in this. I mean, yeah, maybe it's harder to get something made, but I didn't feel like I was like oh, I just want to like if I just could get into a hit movie. I never, right. I never thought that. I thought like I'm really fortunate. I'm able to direct some things. I'm able to act in movies. That year when I did those four movies, um, I didn't know that Mary would be the one that would be like a, a blockbuster or anything. I was just like, oh wow, this is a great year. I got to do four movies, and they're all different. Um, so after that, though, I made a couple movies that that weren't successful. Uh, but then I guess you know with Meet the Parents, you know that. I remember, I mean, honestly, I remember getting a call from Jay Roach and him telling me that he was interested in doing Meet the Parents and he had talked to Robert De Niro and Robert De Niro said he would do the movie with me. <laughs> and I, I like, was sort of like my mouth was just hanging open on the other end of the phone. I was like, wait, Robert De Niro knows who I am. Right. And he's approved me to be in a movie with him. And Jesus. that might have been like a moment for me when I thought, okay, well, this is great and kind of cool and maybe, you know. That, that, that was something I wasn't used to. The crazy thing about that movie is we had very little indication that he could do comedy up to that point. Like he had been right. on SNL a couple of times. Right. Um, other than that, was not somebody that was known to have like this great sense of humor. So that was almost part of the gimmick. Now that movie, that movie, uh, it's been out almost 20 years. Yeah. Everybody has seen it. Generations, like my kids- seen it there they'll have kids their kids will see it it's just yeah. one of those movies yeah and it's hard to explain that part of the gimmick was that people were so shocked that he was funny in it yeah but he was yeah i mean and that was part of you know for me what the whole dynamic of the movie was that he was did you get along with him what was it like like when you weren't taping um it was uh, i was a little kind of quiet guy right yeah, he was intimidating. Yeah. <laughs> it was Robert De Niro. I mean, he wasn't. It's you not know like if he's going to go to Goodfellas mode. Yeah. I mean, you smash know. Smash your payphone against somebody. <laughs> he, yeah. And I'd see that happen. I mean, not, not smash your payphone, but I mean, you know, he is Robert De Niro. So it's not like he drops that persona when, and he's a really sweet guy. He's yeah. A great guy. But, 
you know, he's got that thing. And I, I, I knew that that was part of what the dynamic in the movie was. So it was just sort of, it wasn't, wasn't really acting that much. It was kind of just being, you know, with him in the scenes and really feeling out. Like I remember the first scene when I meet him for the first time, that was one of the first scenes we shot and just being so nervous and then cracking up in his face. I like literally laughed. Like he did some look or something and I laughed (laughs) off camera. Yeah. Which is just mortifying. You know, it's something I would never want to do with an actor that I, if maybe somebody I knew like Owen Wilson or something, you know, like if we knew each other and we like laugh about something, but this was Robert De Niro and I'm trying to like show him that I'm a real actor. And I just started cracking up in his face because I was so nervous. (laughs) And then and he's he, like, what are you doing? No, then he looked at me and then he laughed. He smiled because, you know, he thought it was funny. And that sort of made me feel a little bit better. Yeah. Uh, but the whole movie was that was that feeling. That so, unease. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't like I was trying to foster it. And then as we got to know each other a little more over the years, uh, it got a little more comfortable. And I, you know, but I still feel that all the time. <laughs> at what point your profile increases and then you're running into people that you used to parody on your on your old TV show. Mm-hmm. Like you had Bono, <laughs> Springsteen. <laughs> yes. uh, did you start running into those people? Tom Cruise? Yes. Yeah, I did. did were they were they cool about it? They were. They're were all cool about it. Um but like I 10% would, of them, you know, they're like pissed off about it. No, I mean also like, you know, I feel like my impressions were never going for the jugular. I was never I never felt like I was, you know what I mean? It was like sort of out of necessity. Yeah. Even Tom Cruise like the first time I did Tom Cruise, it was because we were making this film, uh, this short film, my friend Ralph Howard and, and Steve Clayman, we were making this short, this take off on the color of money. Yeah. And we couldn't find, and Steve actually did a really good Tom Cruise. And then, and then I started to, and I looked a little bit more like him. So I was the one who did it for the movie. That's how that evolved. Yeah. Um, and I, so I always felt like I was doing the impression sort of out of necessity, you know, we were talking about earlier, just like kind of like more enjoying, like doing the whole sort of takeoff of the whole thing. And then, but then I would run into (laughs) Tom. I ran into, uh, cause my girlfriend at the time was working with him Yeah, in the firm. And so they're making the movie, the firm. And so I met him down in Memphis. Oh, Gene Triplehorn? Yeah. Yeah. I forgot you dated her. Yeah. Yeah. And that's um, a good movie. Yeah. And so he was really cool. Like we went down to his house and he's, and he'd heard about the impression and Gene had told him, I guess, I guess he knew also. And he was like, let me see it. Let me see it. And he wanted me to show it to him. <laughs> he wanted me to like show it to him while Break I sat there. And I was like, no, I, I don't have it with me, but I, I will get you a copy. There's no way I was going to sit there and watch it with him. And I then remember, we ended up, but then we ended up, you know, doing it together. Yeah. Uh, MTV Awards and uh, yeah. But, and, and Springsteen. Didn't you do I've it always, on SNL? Uh, did you do, I think you did cruise on SNL like once. I might've done, you did some, yeah, might've done it. Remember you did Eddie Munster? Eddie Munster on Sprockets. I know he did that. That yeah. was, a, that was an important moment. <laughs> it was great. I love Sprockets. Um, but uh, yeah. And then Springsteen, I, I remember like, again, like something being at a wedding or something uh, and he was there and. I, th- I think he said something to me like, yeah, I saw that uh, impression you did. <laughs> of me counting to 24. <laughs> and then he just sort of nodded and didn't like give me anything. <laughs> but I've, I've been such a huge Springsteen fan my whole life. So yeah. I think I was just naturally like, oh God, I just wanted to. Well, I remember the show, the show got canceled and then it just disappeared from the face of the earth. Totally. Yeah. And so you had these, va- 
I was you know, these vague fair, memories of stuff. Yeah, we were up against sixty minutes. Oh, I'm, that, yeah, that was. <laughs> and yeah, we had, right. and there, there, and we were like nobody was watching Fox, dude. No, but I mean, like, there was no YouTube. Oh yeah, oh yeah, that it was just. It was I know just, it's weird. It doesn't exist. Just dis- it was like liquidated. Yeah. So I had these memories of, like, I had remembered. What was the one when you did U two for the the cereal? What was it? Lucky oh, was Lucky it Lucky Clovers. Charms? Lucky yeah, Clovers. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember like that. Sh- I was like, I just need that in my life somehow. And then all of a sudden, YouTube came on. Right. Right. And then all of a sudden, all that stuff gets revived. And then yes. I think it was out on DVD and stuff. But there was this ten year stretch where it was just gone. Yeah. No. And it's not really streaming anywhere. Also, I feel like with everything that exists, there should be some little pocket where you could stream it. That's weird. You got to work on that. Yeah. Um, but actually, I remember, I remember like 10 years ago or whatever it was, maybe it's longer, doing, getting, trying to get the DVD made just to like have a copy of it. And you did director's commentary for yeah, it, I think, yeah, right? Yeah. 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 Let's take a break to talk about SoFi. It's a personal finance company that's not afraid to call bullshit and push against the status quo. Like, did you know you're being underpaid by your bank account? That's why they just launched, launched SoFi Money. It gives you the benefit of both checking and savings morphed into one single account. You'll earn 2.25% APY on all your cash. Way more interest than you're probably earning from your bank account right now. Pay zero fees, no account fees, no overdraft fees, no foreign transaction fees. Even your ATM fees will get reimbursed. SoFi Money also gets you SoFi membership where you'll get access to exclusive events, free one-on-one career coaching, a one-on-one with nephew Kyle. I'm kidding. That's not part of this. And much more. Open a SoFi money account and learn all the other ways SoFi can help you get your money right. They should have a thing where people just call you and and you could just talk about how frustrated you are with your ATM. Dude, and, hearing this a second time, it sounds awesome. Yeah, Kyle, so you were grunting a couple of times. Uh, all you have to do is visit SoFi.com slash Simmons, S-O-F-I.com slash Simmons. As of February 2019, annual percentage yield is 2.25%. Interest rates are variable, subject to change at any time. No minimum balance required. That's good for you, That's great Kyle. for me. Couldn't yeah, get much better. That's a win. Win all the way around. Nephew Kyle's in. Uh, back to Ben Stiller. So you do 2001, you do Zoolander, which which had like, it came, when did it come out? Like a week after 9-11 or like a week it and a half? It came out um, like... Uh... Yeah, I think like a week and a half or something like that. Because I remember, I remember going to it, and it was like people kind of needed. Yeah, there was a lot of controversy about releasing a comedy then. Yeah, but it, in a weird way, like, um, I don't know. People, people needed something. They needed somewhere to go, right? So, but I remember the controversy at the time being like, "This is." Well, I was doing press for it, and I remember. Uh, on the Today Show being asked, like, did I think it was vulgar to release a comedy at this time? And I, I was, I had no idea I was going to get that question. Yeah. I literally was just like, you know, you're going out to promote your movie. And obviously everybody was talking about 9-11 and we all were in shock and in a weird place. But I had no idea that that would even be an issue, really, honestly. It was a big crisis. I mean, SNL had the same battle of when did it come back? How did it try to do sketches? Yep. Sports had a big thing. How does... Yep. How do we have football again? What do we do? And it, Zoolander was kind of in that whole thing. But Definitely. then that movie had ended up having legs too, and yeah, it became like a totally rewatchable. Yeah, but it you know was not a big hit at the box office and did not get great reviews and you know all that. It had the legs though. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, definitely it got there. survived. <laughs> <laughs> it Which had, is, it's funny to me, you know, because 
it didn't. It wasn't like a, like an Austin Powers or something like that, which you know, which which was a huge. Well, the hit. first Austin Powers didn't do that great. I mean, that right, that was then, another one right. that had legs, and then it led to the sequel, right? Which was a couple years later. Exactly, but. and the sequel was huge. So then I noticed, and I was looking at your IMDb. It was like oh four, where you're in like five movies. Mm-hmm. One of them which is isn't credited because you're. I think it was Anchorman. But oh yeah, right. But you did. Um, Along came Polly. Right. Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yes. Yeah. Give me, give me your give me your 15 years later thoughts on working with Philip Seymour Hoffman. Um, you know, the un- untapped comedic genius, really. The guy, you know, I mean, brilliant actor, great guy. Uh, but boy, was he funny in that movie. He's so funny in that movie. And he's really funny in Boogie Nights. Like yeah. he had this whole side where it's like in his spare time, he was this really yeah. good comedic actor. Yeah, he he could just do it if he wanted to do it, and I, I remember laughing a lot with him. I mean, I still think about him in that basketball scene in Polly. Just you know, that became dance. the scene. Yeah, I think yeah. that that became like the YouTube scene yeah. from it. And he, you know, he was just uh, you know obviously a, a guy who had a lot to, a lot to give as an actor and was so talented as a dramatic actor, but um, could have done a lot of comedies. That's an interesting movie for me because. I, I don't even remember if I saw it when it came out, but at that point you'd been in a lot of stuff. Jennifer Anderson had been in a lot of stuff. It it wasn't, I, I don't know why, but I was late to it. And I remember somebody emailed me. It was like, you forget, like, I was some sort of basketball thing. I did in a mailbag or something. So I was like, you got to put the Elon K policy in there. I'm like, really? So then I watched it and I was like, this movie was good. Why didn't it do better? It but did, I think it, sometimes that happens. Yeah. It did well, it but did it did okay. I mean, it opened well. I remember. Yeah, <laughs> not that I remember every single box office moment, but like it did, it did do well when it came out. It did like well enough. But I mean, you know, it wasn't yeah, but like, that's what I mean. Like it did well enough, but it wasn't. Yeah, but sometimes it just kind of comes and goes. But also, I think it's sort of how you like how movies actually affect the um, culture, or right, and that's what you're talking about. You know, yeah. whether or not something like breaks through in some way or it affects you at the time. Right. And I think like movies like that, they either, you know, sometimes they do, or sometimes they don't. And uh, especially that was a time when comedies, there were just, there were so many more comedies at the box office that could break through, you know? And you became part of this generation that I think it, I was, I would say it's like, uh, like in basketball where the guys, you know, like it's like LeBron and Wade and Carmelo and you just kind of see these, Generation dudes as like Together. a class, right. right? And your class kind of became a lot of these guys that you kept working with, like Luke Wilson, Vince yeah, Vaughn, for a period, Will Ferrell. Yes, yeah, though, yeah, for a period of time, and then it, and then it got sort of like I don't like the in. frat pack thing. I think that's yeah, like, I don't know also, how that happened. I don't know what that meant too, because I never like I never was into frat humor or that like old school. Those movies were like funny, but that wasn't I wasn't in you know. That. Yeah, you. I don't think you did. You didn't do one of those type of no, movies, really. No. Uh, yeah. I didn't. No. <laughs> to I think. swear I did. But I mean, you know, like those were funny movies. It just wasn't, I just wasn't a part of them, you know? And Will and I, um, you know, we didn't do that much together, really. I'm a huge, I think he's the funniest guy ever. Yeah. Like I, I think of everybody to me, like he is just insanely brilliant. 
Were you watching him on SNL during that whole stretch? And like, how aware of you were of everything that was happening in comedy as you were in comedy? Um, I was aware. I mean, I think, you know, especially when you're in it and you're doing your thing, you are aware of it. I mean, and SNL was, uh, you know, that was a great period for SNL too. And, you know, yeah. he was so friggin' good on that show. Um, but, you know, you're also like doing your own thing at the time. So you're kind of, that's that's why that that grouping sometimes is, interesting to me that it doesn't seem quite accurate because everybody actually was kind of doing their own thing. Right. Though Owen and I did a lot of movies. I think Owen and I have done like 11 movies together. Is that true? I think so, yeah. (laughs) I was counting the other day with uh, uh, my friend uh, and I think it's 11. Yeah. We have to count like the three Night at the Museum movies which we never really would be in the same place because he was a little person. Right. And so like like, sometimes we would never even see each other when we're making those. Well, you did, you brought back Starsky and Hutch, which I thought was interesting because like in Reality Bites, one of the things that jumps out now, like Tommy and Kyle over here, they watch Reality Bites. Actually, Kyle and I did watch Reality Bites because I was preparing for it. He enjoyed it. Oh, cool. But a lot of the pop culture jokes are just just flying over somebody's head. Like they're playing the good times game. Yeah, right, right, right. right. Like he's not going to get that. But <laughs> when I'm 25 in 1994, right. I totally get it because it was that was what we had. We only had three channels, and yeah, those you know, reference all points. of us saw good times. We all remembered all the episodes, and I always wonder like what what the people in their 20s have now because everything's so split and yeah, carved up. There, that's I, I do have a, a connection with that nostalgia, maybe, and I don't know if it's just because it's getting older too, and just like you hang on to those things. But yeah. you're right, there's a less there's less common uh, uh, memories that we have of, of shows like that. Like, you know, we can talk about Roots or I don't know, I don't know if you remember that because you're- younger, I do. But like, you know, those those moments are so seared in my memory, but now there's just so much. And and so, you know, there's that also sort of like the second wave of that, you know, Tommy's generation can YouTube it and see yeah. what it is, right? But you don't have the actual visceral memory of watching it as a kid. Uh, yeah, the the Michael Jackson Motown twenty five thing is like that because I feel like yeah. I that was that. so incredible in the moment, and that became what made it great. And then nobody could see it again; it was on and it was gone. Right, I remember, and now it's just on YouTube. I remember coming into high school, coming to school the next day when that was on. Yeah, everybody, everybody was talking about it all day. Yep. Yeah. So, oh four, you also <laughs> did dodgeball. Uh-oh. Yeah. Meet the Fockers. Yes. And you were on Curb Your Enthusiasm for three episodes. That's a strong year. Yeah, that was a lot. There was a lot going on that year. So that, <laughs> I remember that year. <laughs> Did you like doing Curb Your Enthusiasm? Uh, I loved it. Yeah, it was fun. I mean, there's nothing like doing that show because of the way he does it. Yeah. It's a really interesting thing. I mean, there's one thing to do improv in a scene that's written, and then you kind of go, hey, let's try some stuff or see where it goes. But the first time you do a take, uh, with the way he writes it is he writes this sort of spine of this idea, you know, this outline. So the first time you do it is the first time you're ever writing it really. Yeah. And, and there's nothing like that where you just don't know where it's going to go. And it's really fun that way. And then you do take two or take three where you've already done it once. So you kind of have a sense of where it went, but then the take two could go a totally different place. Right. Um, and I like that he leans into sort of all that prickly stuff and like people being unlikable and anger yeah. and frustration. <laughs> Obviously that he, you know, is sort of like synonymous with now, but like for actors to go in there and be able to be an asshole or also I, it was fun to do that on um, Ricky Gervais's show extras too. Yeah. But that was like, that was totally written, but, th- but doing it with uh, on curb was, 
you know, was really fun because you end up drawing on a lot of real stuff, you know, because it's coming out of your subconscious and you're just kind of doing it in the moment. Did you ever think of creating a TV series like that where you could have had a chance to dive into a character? And Yeah, no, I never thought about it back then. I think about it now more, yeah. actually, because I think now there's just so much. I mean, he was really a pioneer in that way. We're yeah. just doing different kinds of television. Now I feel like there's so much freedom in television to kind of do you could do whatever you want. You could, you know, you could do something like that. And there's a chance to really explore stuff that I think that back then I wasn't thinking about it. I was thinking I was, I was enjoying doing movies and, and I always loved movies. So television was a, it was a, was never sort of what, what really was drawing me. Yeah. And it draws me now more because just there's more opportunity there. Um, you know, like something like doing like Danamora, you know, there. I think the story warranted having, uh, you know, seven or eight hours to the story, but that tone of show or that kind of a, a movie is very hard to get made now. I remember there was a New Yorker feature about you a while ago, like probably I remember that. seven, eight years ago. And a lot of it was about where the industry was going and your feelings on it and, and how involved you were with just the big picture stuff of when you're putting a movie out, what it means. I always thought that I, I always thought that was really interesting mm -hmm. because I hadn't heard a lot of actors kind of think that way. It was, it was like, you weren't just thinking of somebody who's in the movie. You were thinking about every aspect and it talked about just how meticulous you were with, with all this stuff. Mm -hmm. Did you think that reputation was unfair or fair or somewhere in the middle? Um, I think it was probably somewhere in the middle not unfair i mean that definitely was you know i think you know i, I know that article I, you know it's I, I i when i look back at that period of time i think i was very focused on trying to have the best outcome of a movie that uh, that everybody would work really hard on you want to have the best outcome yeah marketing and all that stuff but I think what I've learned over the years is that it's very hard to control all that, no matter how hard you work at <laughs> right. it and what price you pay for it. You know, it's and, the old "nobody knows anything." William Goldman quote: "You yeah, just don't know." Ultimately. For sure, yeah. Which that's he said a lot of really wise things about uh, movies. And but I think that's what I've learned over the years is that I put a lot of energy into trying to control that stuff. Yeah. And the price that you pay is you can be you know for people who you're dealing with, if you're not dealing with them in a way that is um, as uh, empathetic and kind as, you know, because you're so more focused on getting what you want. Yeah. I think that's what I did. Yeah. <laughs> and I, you know, and I look back at it now and for me, what's more important is uh, to, I, I first realize that I can't control it all as much as I would want to. And I don't want to leave for me in the wake, like an experience with someone, I'd rather have a good experience with someone and maybe not, and, and, and still uh, communicate to them what I would want it to be, but then then leave it at that because I'd rather have the experience be good for myself mainly. I think that's what, because I, like, I spent a lot of energy wanting to try to make something be a certain way that I couldn't control. And so I just ended up being, you know, I was the one who would be frustrated or unhappy and really it was all my in my control. It's funny because that make sense? No, it 100% makes sense because when I read that article, which I think it was probably 2012 because I was at Grantland yeah. and I, I had a really complicated career at that point and I was like running Grantland, co-running 30 for 30 and just doing all these things and I was kind of wired the way you were where I was right. constantly frustrated that everybody else wasn't, 
oh, why aren't we doing this? And, and, uh, and eventually you realize that, um, a lot of it's coming from you. Like not everybody is going to be a maniac about this stuff. And once I realized that it was easier for me. Yeah. And for a couple of reasons, one, you're going to, just on on a selfish level, if you, you're not going to get the best out of somebody if you're making them feel not feel good about what they're doing. Yeah, and then more importantly, for your own spiritual sort of you know happiness, <laughs> you're going to just keep on churning it up, and yeah, you know, and you're always going to be unhappy, and that's that's what I realized, and and so I, I, you know, I think, and in the last I think like five, six, seven years, that's that's you know slowly kind of like getting closer to understanding what is going to make me happy and how I'm going to kind of go through life feeling, feeling better. That's, that's, you know, to me what I want. Were you aware of, you know, with comic, especially comic actors, successful ones, it seems like there's a shelf life and it can go somewhere between like six to 12 years, depending on, on the audience and just the kind of work you're doing. And then after that, it's just really hard to make a dent, you know? And it's almost like, you have so many movies in you and people kind of, they get a feel for you. You've met their expectations and then it's just hard to continually impress them. And that's usually when actors, like they'll, they'll be in more dramas or they'll start directing or all this stuff. But were you aware of that whole kind of shelf life of a famous comic actor? Um, you know, not unaware of it, but I, I never thought of it that way when I was acting and getting into it because it was never what my... Like it, it just, like I said, when I was, you know, when something about Mary happened, I'd been doing it for a while. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, oh, it's like, you're one of those guys and you have the opportunity now to star in comedies and do it. And, it, and. Cause your run was, I mean, really over a decade, which does not happen. Yeah. You but, know? Yeah. It, it's a very complicated thing, I think, because when you're in it, you're, it, it's up to you as a person to decide what you want to do with your life, you know, right. what, what is it that's going to make you happy? And I was in that and I wanted to keep doing that. And I enjoyed doing it. Um, because in, in a certain way, it's really, um, it's very enticing when you can do something that makes people laugh and make a lot of people laugh and people go to the movies and go see it. It's really exciting. It's yeah. fun, you know? Um, but it, it, within that, you have to also just find your own way of like, what's, well, what am I why am I doing this? What, what's making me creatively happy? And underneath, I always had the same thing I want to do since I was 10 years old, which was I want to be making different kinds of movies as a director and as an actor too. But I was also nurturing the comedic um, thing, which then in a certain way, I think puts people, you're in people's heads as that, which I feel as an audience when I see yeah. certain actors. I'm like, well, that that guy is so burned in my, you know, psyche as that kind of character. So I, you know, I think about it. Yeah. I thought about it a little bit, but I also was making the choices that at the time for me were like, well, this is, this would be a fun movie to do, or I'd like to do this or, you know, um, life choices. One more break to talk about butcher box. It's hard to find high quality meat. You can trust butcher box is changing that they deliver healthy 100% grass fed and finished beef, free range, organic chicken, Heritage breed pork directly to your door on a monthly basis. This sounds delicious. All ButcherBox products are humanly raised, never ever given antibiotics and or, or hormones. My wife was in on this early, giving giving no hormone milk to my kids. That's why they're big and strong and powerful now. It's convenient. The taste is unbelievable. There's a huge difference in flavor between animals raised on pasture 
and those fed grain and concentrated animal feedlot operations. Each box comes with at least nine or 11 pounds of meat. It's enough for 24 individual sized meals or three dinners for Kyle. <laughs> Butcher Box also just announced a brand new protein, wild Alaskan sockeye salmon, sustainably harvested from Bristol Bay, Alaska. They offer free shipping anywhere in the 48 states. No commitment. You can cancel easily at any time. Um, they sent me some delicious. You know, it's fun just getting meat in the mail and then you just get to cook it and eat it. What's easier than that? Get $20 off free ground beef for life. Uh. That's two pounds of free 100% grass-fed ground beef in every order for the lifetime of your subscription. To get the deal, go to butcherbox.com slash BS. That is butcherbox.com slash BS. Back to Ben Stiller. What what movie worked out in the most possible ways that you were happy with, that you did, where you look back and you're like, that was my best, that was my best experience? Uh, I'd say Tropic Thunder. I was going to, I, I was my... about to bring that up. It's a Kyle favorite. <laughs> I mean, that was, I think we're in a way it all kind of came together yeah, for it me seemed like as, it. as an experience. Um, Highest degree of difficulty probably too, right? It was challenging, and it was <laughs> it was at a moment in time in the movie business where you could make a movie like that, yeah. you know, with that that budget and and that expectation of and you know and it, and it just did okay at the box office. It did well enough. It wasn't like a gigantic hit, but it made its money back, and um and it was you know it, it was what it wanted to be, and the experience of making it was you know I I love the experience of making it when I think back on it. Has a long tail, yeah. It's, yeah. it's, yeah. it's definitely crossed you know? over. And it was an idea that I had had literally since 1987 when I was this little part in uh, this Steven Spielberg movie, Empire of the Sun. And, yeah. and it was just like sort of like this little seed of an idea. And then talked to my friend, Justin Thoreau about it. And we like, we're nurturing this idea for like 10 years uh, before we even, and, and when we finally made it, it was one of those things are it's like oh my god we're actually making this movie we've been talking about this thing for years and years yeah. and we're actually doing it and it comes out basically right before social media takes off and it's yeah. the end of this generation of comedy when i feel like people are really pushing the envelope and now that has become well, so much harder it would be very tough to get that made in terms i of agree the politically correct world that we're in I yeah mean, if not impossible but was that was part of the joke of the downing character was it was <laughs> Admitting it was politically incorrect, that was the joke. So I don't even know how that would work with the way things worked out in 2018. I'll, I'll tell you, it would not even get off the ground, you know? Yeah, it, you're it really probably would. right. It would just be a, a big, big uh, hurdle. And even I've been surprised, you know, over the last year or so with all the debates that are going on that people haven't brought that movie up as like, oh my God, you know, look at this horrible thing. Right. <laughs> You know, because but you were I, making fun of it, so I don't make know. It always clear to me and, and to us when we were making it was we're making fun of the actors. We're making fun of the actors and their egos and these people who will do anything to win awards and yeah. and and this sort of um, you know narcissism. So that was always very clear. But you know, even when we did make it, we got in trouble with the uh, you know the Special Olympics people. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And I showed it to the NAACP uh, before the movie came out because I was concerned that uh, I wanted to make sure that, you know, I got that point of view. And that, that's where the it, comedy becomes dangerous to me when somebody's making fun of something, but then people still, Hey, that's where, as we head into this next, dec next decade, I really wonder where some of that goes. I mean, 
we talk about it in the rewatchable podcast. We do. We always talk about would that work now or how does that look in 2019 versus, and especially with the comedies, it's really interesting because in some cases you're like, yeah, they wouldn't do that now. And you get why. And in other cases it's like, well, it's real. It is interesting. It is comedy. I I just watched airplane with my son. Oh my God. And yeah, there's like seven scenes that could never happen now. Oh my God. There's like, they just, line up to punch the lady when they she's hysterical. The they, they speak jive. That right. whole thing is no way that could happen. No now. way. Um, and yet there's some really, really just still incredibly funny things in the movie, but like so many politically incorrect things that I even looked at going like, well, that's really wrong. Like, I don't, you know, that doesn't feel right to me. Yeah. You know, but. There's a lot of comedies from that era that but have I never those thought, moments. And I never thought of that. I never thought twice about it until lo- watching it now, you know? And so that's the hard thing. It's the whole thing with, uh, you know, any of this, with the Me Too movement, any of it is that, and I've heard people talk about this where it's impossible to go back 30 years and say, we should have done this because that's where we were 30 years ago. Yep. You know, th- those mistakes were being made because that's where the culture was at. And that's what, that's how people were acting. Right. So, you know, how do you retroactively try to fix that when the fact is that's just where we were? And yeah, I I have a lot of trouble legislating past behavior because, I mean, think about in baseball, they wouldn't even let black people play until 1947. That's still only how many years? 70 years ago? Like, that's if if you're just going backwards, you're right. Whatever was going on in that year, probably says a lot about what was going on in that year, whether you're talking about culture, sports, the way people were treated. Right. It's and, all, you know, as long as we're getting better at stuff as yeah. the years go by, that's no, kind of what matters. Yes. I mean, but like, you know, Spike Lee points out, you know, Thomas Jefferson, slave owner, pedophile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, wrote the Declaration of Independence. So um, it's- it's. But do you worry about comedy in 2020? How, how, how the envelope is going to get pushed? Because I, I, I worry that it to, won't get pushed. I honestly don't even know how to approach it. You know, I mean, for me as a as a, you just got to make eight episode prison dramas. I well, think is the, it's the much easier. It's much easier, <laughs> really. Um, and I'm happy to do that uh, because it's really it's really hard. It's really hard to well, if you do that. I wonder how people are going to react. Um, we uh, are producing. My company's producing a show on the CW called In the Dark. It's about uh, a blind. A woman who, a twenty-something blind woman who's uh, trying to solve a murder, and she's a very flawed character. And the lead actress who's playing her isn't blind. We, you know, audition blind actors, and there are blind actors who are in the show. But that was the first question that was asked. And they did a sketch on SNL the other night. Uh, who, who can I play? Which is that sketch? So that funny. sketch was incredible. Was so great. Yeah, that and was that's really exactly good. where we are right now. That's you know, that's that's the problem. Yeah, I think. The biggest issue for me is it's just so easy for people to mobilize against um, a perceived slight or a real slight, either one. But or 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 figuring out what's the difference between the perceived and the real, and whether it's perceived or real or genuine or whatever, you just get a bunch of people coming at somebody right away. Right, and I, I think my fear is it's going to make people who make comedy hesitant. Which, you know, part of what makes comedy great is you make mistakes, you know, you, you push a line this way and, oh, that didn't work, but it's okay. We're all in this together. And now we're not all in this together in the same way. And that, I think that's what worries me. Yeah. I think as long as your intention is clear, 
than it, in terms of what you think is funny about it. You know, that's that's sort of what you have to trust. Which is what Tropic Thunder. That's why I think that's immune to this. Yeah, yeah, and and yeah, maybe maybe that's why. Um, and I feel like that's who you have to be really um, precise on, and knowing that's where you're coming from, and then be willing to suffer the slings and arrows of how people come at you. You know, where what do you? What's the next iteration of this? Just family comedies. Instant Family with Mark Wahlberg. Great movie, by the way. I enjoyed it. Whole family watched it. It was really good. But is that where we're heading? Just safe no, family comedies? I honestly don't. Th- I think it has to be cyclical. I think it has to come around. And I think you okay. know, comedy people are going to get sick of not being able to be who they are and or not being brave enough to do it. And maybe, I don't know if it'll be me or somebody else, but somebody's going to go out there and say, you know, fuck it. I just want to do what I think is funny. Because this happened uh, in the late 60s, early 70s. And that led to a lot of the comedy that not just what led to SNL, but Lenny Bruce and George Carlin and um, people rebelling against other people telling them what they can and cannot say. And we revered that generation like, yeah, these people are badasses. They weren't afraid they were, and they made mistakes. They said dumb things, Richard Pryor. Um, yeah. But the way we regarded, like our generation regarded those people were like, man, those guys were rebels. They right. really, they weren't afraid of anybody. And now I, I wonder maybe that's what's coming next. I think next. there are those people out there though and really funny people who who don't give a shit, who, you know, who get it. I mean, it's just a different world now with, with social media and Twitter and instant, yeah. the instant uh, reaction to things and- um, but I do think it's, it's going to come back around. Wow. I do. An <laughs> optimistic moment. It stopped raining. Yeah. <laughs> the sun came out. <laughs> so what's next to you? What do the next five years look like for you? Oh my God. Yeah. What's, what's Jesus, on, what's on no. the agenda? Um, maybe the reality Knicks, bites sequel. I want the Knicks to win a game or two. <laughs> I forgot you're a huge Knicks fan. I put that on the agenda for this. Oh my you, God. It's all coming around. You got KD coming. You're doing the lottery. Um, this is great. We need to change the culture at the Knicks. Do you like Fisdale? I like Fisdale. He's been okay. I think he's done a masterful job tanking. Uh, I, I, I think I don't, I don't disagree with him. Their last 41 games, they were five and 36. I know. No, it's depressing. It's outstanding. It's depressing. It's what you As a Knicks fan, it's depressing. How often do you go? I go like five or six, five or six times a year. Ethan Hawke was afraid to talk about this, but then ended up saying "fuck it" and talked about this. But didn't he? What did he? Didn't he say he got banned because he, he wants his ticket? He got, he got kicked banned. out. Yeah, yeah. he got banned. Because yeah. Dolan will just he'll you know he'll yeah. he'll take I, it out I, on I people. I think the culture has to change there, and um, I think you know Knicks fans are so love the Knicks so much. They're so loyal and they're so hungry for um a positive anything positive just anything positive you know and we love our 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 um you know the great knicks who are still there and who are you know that 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 whole history to me that's what's exciting to me about going to knicks there's guys are in their 80s now i know <laughs> they're wheeling them out look I'm they're coming like, out of their walkers i'm in my 73 dicks like i'm like just i want to see a championship before i die i don't know if it's gonna happen um, it is amazing. It's been 46 years though. Yeah. Look, it's exciting. If I meet Bill Bradley, yeah. you know, or Walt Frazier at a game, that to me is, uh, uh, that makes me happy because I literally don't even know who's playing in the on the team because it changes so much. But you're probably like one of the youngest Knicks fans that remembers the 73 title team. I do remember. Right? Yeah. I so do you, remember. the cutoff would be, you'd have to be like six when that happened. Yeah. Maybe you could remember. I it, was eight. Yeah. I, I totally remember it. And I remember going to the garden. I remember 
you know, the excitement of it. And then, and it's just, it's a really tough situation right now. Because I would hope in the next five years that, yeah, KD comes and. What's your move when they show you on the video screen? I do everything I can to avoid being shown on the do video. Do you just put your like hands on your face? I, like I do payoffs to them to not show me on the video. <laughs> you see the cameraman coming around, you're just whipping hundreds at them. I swear to God, I'll do everything I can to avoid it. Do you look at the camera or do you like look it's, to the it's, side? It's, there's no good way to do it, first of all. Because like if you come after, you know, Jerry Cooney or any of the giants who have yeah. they always get a huge or anybody from the Sopranos a huge cheer, then it's always a letdown when they get to me. <laughs> <Yay>. <laughs> um, but uh it's you know, I or get next to somebody, you know? Just get do do like a two shot. They get to be next to Howard Stern. Or yes, somebody. exactly, exactly. Howard's perfect. The best one I've ever seen at it is Jay Z. He looks at the camera briefly. He looks cool as hell, and then he just looks away, and right. it's like the camera's not there anymore. And he's just mastered it. Yeah, he can do that. Yeah, he's Jay Z. He's. I feel like he's practiced it. <laughs> yeah, I, I. That's not my thing. I can't. I mean, yeah, you look up, try to be humble, wave, and then hope that they get it off you as soon as possible before the whatever smattering dies down. So do you like listen to Francesa? Like how hardcore are you? Uh, no, 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 no. Michael K show? No, no, Nothing? I don't get into a lot of You that. don't get into sports radio? I like Alan Hahn, you know? And, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, and uh, I think that um, Mike Breen, and I like Mike Breen and Clyde. I think Mike Breen's amazing. Announcer. Mike Breen's amazing. He's just like, he just makes it so much more exciting, you know? Um, and I like, like Ernie Johnson. I like, you know, watch those guys. Uh, but I, I'd imagine if I was a player, those guys must be really hard because just like they're so harsh on the players. So you're not on NBA Twitter following uh, ten thousand no, people. No, I, I I check it out. Yeah, I, yeah, I check it out. Yeah. What's your wish list for the wish list for the summer? KD. Um, yeah. KD I mean, and Kyrie. I don't know about that. Could that happen? Do you think that could happen? It could happen. It yeah. would be an interesting personality I mean, combo. I think you know Zion would be great. Zion would be great. <laughs> Zion, KD, I'll take I'll take that. Um, I mean, honestly, just any cohesive team that has a couple of great players on it that stay, that yeah. just stay and don't leave. I was, you know, like I I, I got friendly with Ennis Cantor. So sad. I know. I, I became friendly with Ennis Cantor while he was there, and you know, the guy like couldn't love New York more and be more of a positive influence, or Ron Baker even. Yeah. Like you know, this guy was just like out there. Given it all, you know, whatever he had to give, he was giving. Fans loved him. They just give us a little something. Just hang on to it for the season, at least, you know. Right. But it just like boom, you know what I mean? Just pulled out from under you, and you're like, you sound all of a like Henry Ellingworth. I don't. What's <laughs> going Henry on? Henry Ellison. What's happening? <laughs> no, sa- no, no offense to Henry. I just don't know. I can't keep up. You sound like one of those bachelor contestants <laughs> who gets voted out in the limo, and it's like, I don't know. Is is it me? <laughs> Why can't why can't anyone love me for me? I've been bringing my son for like since we moved back to New York for like nine years, and he's seen like less than he's seen yeah like less three, than five good games, like three wins. He's seen three wins. I'm not kidding. And we don't go to a lot of it, but like we go to like four, five, or six, eight, and then the, the odds statistically are against him seeing a win. He doesn't care about being courtside. He doesn't care about anything. He just wants to see a win. Yeah. That's sad. Yeah. It's, yeah. They it's see, he's just going to end up playing Fortnite over watching basketball. Yeah. The Knicks are just losing a fan for life. They need James to Dolan's fix this. Fault. Come on. Save my son, James. What's the best interaction you've had with an athlete? Um, ooh, gosh. Um, do, the ba- do the players, if they see you courtside, do they, do yeah. they, do they I mean, honestly, say anything to you? Yeah. Look, yeah. Some of them I talk to and say hi to. Um, you do a complicated handshake with them? I do. <laughs> <laughs> 
I can do awkward, complicated magic. Uh, who was I talking to? I uh, uh, Dirk Nowitzki and I. Oh. I, yeah, I played in Dirk's uh, tennis tournament. <laughs> really? <laughs> Why wasn't that televised? What? Why wasn't that televised? Dirk's tennis tournament? We should have gotten save, the rights to, to that. save people from <laughs> that, that, seeing that. Um, no, uh, Dirk's actually a really good player. Yeah. But, uh, he just started, I think, the last couple of years. And um, so I, I like Dirk. I, I brought like I brought Quinn, my son, down to a Dallas game. And he had like the best time. And then, you know, Dirk took him in the practice court afterwards. And, you know, they shot some shots together. And that was amazing, you know. And then like running into Bill Bradley recently in a Knicks game. That to me was just like, you know, it doesn't get any better than that. Yeah, I remember when the Celtics hit dark times in the late 90s. Mm-hmm. All we really had was when the old guys used to show up. Mm-hmm. You know, be like, oh man, Bill Russell's here. Right. You know, meanwhile, we're losing by like 28. No, that, that's literally what that, we're, where we are yeah. in New York. Yeah. Um, it feels like I might shift though. I played with Harrison Barnes. We played back and forth. Really? <laughs> yeah. So I went to see them play when Sacramento came to see the Knicks a couple of weeks ago. I went and that was fun to see Harrison because we, I, I gave him some tennis pointers. Like I didn't even know what I'm doing playing tennis. I forgot to ask you what it was like to share your dad with America when he was, became George Costanza's dad forever, but it was your dad. Yeah. But then yeah. he he became somebody else's dad for basically twenty million people. Yeah, it's that's kind of weird. Nobody's ever asked me that. Yeah, it's really interesting. I thought it'd be really strange for me if my dad was known as somebody else's dad. It was an interesting thing because you know people have their experience of me and know me. Yeah, they know my dad, and then they and of course love Seinfeld. So I think sometimes I would get sort of like grouped in to the all of it. You know what I mean? Like your dad, George's dad. You know, the dynamic was just <laughs> like dad, George is your brother, son, George. Yeah, exactly. And and we never really were, you know, I, I, I never really, Jason and I never really knew each other that well. So it's always, it's always a little awkward when we see each other. <laughs> like he's cheating on me. My dad's cheating on me. Because yeah, when you, when you got the TV show initially, you, your parents were really famous for our generation. Like everybody knew who Stiller Romero was. And then, um, and then eventually for this whole other generation, he's just George's dad. And I yes. always, it's always weird when things work out that way. Well, that's the way it goes. Yeah, the way it goes. Because that shows will never stop being on television. It's on all the time. And also King of Queens, my dad's on. Oh, that's right. And, and equally known for that now too. But um, Seinfeld will be on no, for 7,000 years. Seinfeld is Seinfeld, but it's- uh, It's on at 11 o'clock every night in every city. And that's just the way it's going to go, I guess, forever. Forever, yeah. That well, and Friends. Was, so it'll just be Seinfeld and Friends Seinfeld for the rest of our lives. Seinfeld and Friends are the big ones. You yeah. were on Friends once. I was on Friends once. You were, yeah. were you ever on Seinfeld? I was never on Seinfeld, no. I was on King of Queens once too. But, uh, you know, for my dad, it was a great thing because he did. He was, my mom, still her Mira. Yeah. And, you know, they, they did their thing in the seventies and eighties and they were still working hard. But then when, when Seinfeld happened, it, it was like a whole new audience for him. It seemed like really Seinfeld happy. got like a genuine kick out of him too. Oh, they loved like you him. You see like the outtakes and stuff. Larry. Like he, yeah. David, like all those guys. They, they loved him because they just, it always, he just made him like, cause my dad worked so hard. He was so, you know, would work like he would approach it like he was doing Shakespeare. Yeah. Every episode. <laughs> And he had to run it and he had to rehearse it and, you know, he had to hold it and he would, and sometimes he would forget his lines and they loved it when he'd like almost forget his lines. But his process of working so hard and being so in it was what made everybody, they just enjoyed that part of it, you know, when, especially when he would screw up. It was great casting too, because him and 
Jason Alexander could both go zero to hundred in like a split second. And it really did seem like they're related. (laughs) Like just all of a sudden they're upset. And I said this before, but that is nothing like my dad is like, my dad's not like that. He's like the most quiet, calm guy, but yet he has that in him. And, uh, and he, you know, he's just naturally funny. He's just like a naturally funny person. How did your parents react when you became this A plus list comedy actor? That must have been strange for them. Um, I would. Were, it would be super strange for me if that happened. They were to my son. Yeah, I don't know what. what I mean, I think they were happy and proud. And my mom sort of, I think, was always wanting me to do different kinds of stuff. Yeah, honestly, like she was like very proud, but like she was very well read and liked uh, independent movies. And yeah. I think she was always pushing me to kind of do, you know, to do different kinds of things. All right. Um, I took you too long. I took too right. much of your time. That's okay. So I'm escape. Taking my, I'm taking my daughter to visit uh, college today. Are you really? Yeah. yeah. She's a junior. So that's exciting. It is exciting. And we're um, doing it all above board. No payoffs. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm going the other way. I think the inefficiency now is the payoffs. Nobody's expecting it anymore. Now right. it's even, now exactly. it's like they, nobody thinks that's ever going to happen again. Now is the time to now really, it's time to make now it you're getting discount, discount payoffs. <laughs> Got that guy's number. Could have been 500K a year ago. Now it's like 100K. They're just desperate to be a business with anybody. <laughs> going out of business sale. <laughs> I fully expect 20 more of her stores, uh, stories off that story to be happening. Oh yeah. New York. You know, this happens in New York in the private schools. Come on. Many people have probably not been discovered yet. Yeah. Or uncovered. I think there's a lot of people right now going, it's very, Oh my God. No, it's indicative of like, look, I'm in it right now with my, my daughter and you see that, you know, it's tough on the kids. It's tough on the parents and people just, you know, want to go one notch too far. It's, I, I, I can't imagine doing it, but yet you see where it's coming from. Which is, that's the interesting thing, you know, the desire the parents have for their kids to do well, for something they didn't have, you know, that they want and all that. And the competitiveness with the other parents, which is yeah, weird for in sure. itself. No, that's a thing. That's definitely a thing. It's, it's a dick measuring contest. Yes, but, for sure. The way the parents offhandedly will tell you what their kids are doing. Or, yeah. yeah. Uh, escape at Dana Mora. Yes. We, it was originally called Escape at Clinton Correctional. Why was it an Escape from Dana Mora? I don't understand. Because we didn't want to it to be like escape from Alcatraz and we felt like escape at was an interesting way of saying that Danamora, which is the town was, it was more than necessarily just the prison because okay. Tilly was also wanting to escape. And then we had a big debate about just calling it Danamora because for that reason, which is like if people like are, you know, hashtag escape from Danamora, they're not going to get escape at Danamora. But then we ended up just going with escape. Danamora. I think I tweeted about it because I was really into it. And I think I did from instead of yeah. at. And then I had to delete the tweet and <laughs> do it again. You redid I'm the a tweet? tweet deleter. Yeah. I, right. If I have I, a I typo, I'm, it's out. I'm well, deleting it. You can't it. fix it once you make it. You can't. Yeah. God forbid you can fix like a on, tweet. On Instagram, you can fix your caption. 100%. We're such social media experts. I know. We're, look at us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you can list, you can watch that on the Showtime app. Yes. And which yeah. on Amazon, which has, if you have Amazon Prime, I think it has Showtime too, but. And the DVD is coming out. And the DVD is coming out. features on it. I did commentaries oh. with Patricia and all like our, our crew. And oh, that's cool. I tried to make it like a DVD back in the old days when people bought DVDs. I recommend the show. It's really good. Thanks, Bill. Um, I enjoyed it. I was sad when it was over. I was hoping it would just go seven more episodes of them in Canada. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> they, unfortunately, they got caught. 
Thanks for doing this. Good luck with the Knicks. Thanks, man. All right, we're going to call my dad and uh, and talk about this wacky uh, Eastern Conference and how we feel about it. But first, Allbirds, dedicated to making stylish, comfortable footwear using premium natural materials designed for life's everyday adventures like the Allbirds Wool Runners, which are comfy shoes made from wool. They sent me some. I wore them. I wore them at my daughter's soccer tournament. It was super muddy. I didn't care. I had nice, comfortable, warm shoes. They look good, designed simply no unnecessary logos. They come in a bunch of classic colors as well as limited edition shades like graphite, moonstone, and marble. Wear them to work, to play, office, out of town, whatever you want. Their New Zealand merino wool requires 6% less energy to produce than typical synthetic materials used in shoes. Feel good about wearing them. ZQ certified. Did I mention that? That means it's grown on sustainable farms where they treat the sheep very well. Allbirds believes that comfort, style, sustainability do not have to be mutually exclusive. So head to allbirds.com, get your very own pair of soft and cozy wool runners. Get on that. Soft, cozy wool runners. Yeah. Uh, We're going to call my dad. Here we go. All right. My dad's on the line. He's watching college basketball as we speak. We're taping this early afternoon Pacific time. He jumped on the uh, University of Vermont bandwagon. What's that like? How crowded is it, dad? Um, I've always been on the Vermont bandwagon every year. You were here. actually won a game, I think, recently last year, right? You root for any New England team short of Connecticut. Any state well, going the other way, you're you're in on. Well, that's true. I, I have different teams on uh, going today. I have Northeastern's going today. I'm certainly on their bandwagon. They have this really good guy, Serbian guy. I like him a lot. Yeah. I haven't seen him play yet, but I like him a lot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we have Vermont going today. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, my other Connecticut team uh, lost today, but they had a good comeback. They almost won. What was your Yale. other Connecticut team? Uh, Yale. Oh, you, you jumped on that one too. All right. Of course. Those are my three teams today. <laughs> That's great. I'll probably lose all three of them, but. Uh, do you, every time Boston College was in there, you were always on there, but I, I, does Boston College still have basketball? Where do we stand on that? Unfortunately, Boston College hasn't been in there for a while. But yeah. Yeah. They had one of those funny articles yesterday where the the athletic director, who's fairly new, a couple of years, gave like a vote of confidence to the basketball coach. Oh, who's done a bad uh, job, right? Who, who's been there five years and has had four losing seasons. Yeah. Mm. So I suspect he's not going to be here too long. Well, speaking of losing seasons, even though they have a winning record for the season, it feels like a losing season. The Celtics last night lo- lose to uh, Philly. You were upset about the officiating. But well, I was I was upset about a number of things, but you know, the officiate to have that disparity in free throws. I, I know Embiid uh, goes to the basket a lot, and you know, put aside the fact that he takes five or six steps and they never call it, and he's always pushing guys out of the way. Uh, he sir, I mean, he had over twenty free throws, and yeah, uh, it it was just kind of crazy. You know, Irving went to the to the uh, rim a lot. We went to the rim a lot last night. Brown went to the rim, Irving, Morris, and we weren't getting any of the calls. But aside from that, uh, our defense was kind of iffy at the end, wasn't it? Well, two minutes. They shot 43 free throws. The Celtics shot 16 and, and Beach shot 21. Your dogs are even upset about the free throws. Um, part of me worries, though, this Celtics team is not a team that gets to the line a lot anyway. 
You got well. You've... I I know that's true, and uh, I, as you know, I might have tweeted something last night, and yeah, I did something that you suggested I don't do, which is read a couple of the comments. Well, you also and, t- or to tweet when you're angry is never a good idea either. Never a good idea, and I, I did notice that somebody brought to my attention that. And I know we're not a driving team like we have been in the past, except Irving does drive a lot. Revere yeah. drives a lot. I mean, we do have guys that go to the rim when we're not taking ridiculous three-point hero basketball <laughs> shots, but it shouldn't have been that kind of disparity. And I just thought there were some iffy non-calls. But putting all that aside, uh, it's it's kind of frustrating to watch Irving on defense other teams really seem to take advantage of him in, at the last the last two minutes of the game. And that's what Jimmy Butler... Jimmy Butler was a no-show for... Uh, ex- except for the last two minutes of that game. He was a no-show. And then, of course, he ends up being the hero. Right, he's in the Sports Center package at the end. I he- can't stand the guy. I mean, he, it, it's, a, it's a strange Philly team. Yeah. Uh, and Embiid is, is a wonderful player. Uh, the rest of them, they, they disappear for stretches, don't they? Yeah. I, the scary thing for me is I hate going into any playoff series where the other team has the best player. And you look at the Eastern Conference and Giannis is the best player in any Boston Milwaukee series and Embiid is the best player in any Boston Philly series, I think. Well, that is true. But those are two safe things see, to say. We won't see Philly unless it's in the finals. I mean, Philly's going to... We're not... We're either stuck in four or five. Right now we're in five. We do play Indy at home next Friday night. Um, well, if it, assuming the playoffs go well, we're going to probably have to see Philly at some point. The, the thing well, that, assuming the playoffs go well, then we'd, we'd see Milwaukee in the second round, which is really scary. Well, but here's, the reason you just mentioned. At least Brogdon's out with Milwaukee. And... If he if he isn't back in time for a second round matchup, if Boston even gets there, I do think that hurts him. Plus, Miritich is now out for a couple of weeks. Um, oh, I didn't know that. They have a lot of guys who haven't been there before. He, just got going backwards, finishing the loop on Philly. Um, Embiid's a monster. He really He's is. A monster, like he, yeah. he he did that post game interview yesterday, and I thought it was really telling about. You know, he was just like. You know, I'm a great defensive player. I'm the most unstoppable offensive player in the league. I really wanted to prove that tonight. It really felt like he went into that game like it was a game seven, really wanting to put the rest, the whole Boston has figured out how to play and beat thing. We we went to um, at least one of the games last year, last spring, and he would have stretches like that. But I also never, neither of us felt like he was in shape. And it felt like he would wear out as the game went along and yesterday he did not wear out and just seemed um, just for lack of a better word, just completely unstoppable. Um, very reminiscent yeah. of Shaq in the nineties. Yeah. I, I would agree with you with one caveat. Um, he has a, a better supporting cast. True. So a year ago in that playoffs, there were a number of times we double teamed him and even you were probably watching the ESPN uh, broadcast last night. I was watching our local broadcast, and repeatedly they were commenting on how we weren't double teaming him at all. But the reality is, because the supporting cast is so much better, it's it's really difficult to double team him. And 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 
Harris can make the three. Butler can make the three. Redick yeah. is a nightmare of making the three. So we were double teaming him in the playoffs last year. I'm not sure we could do it again, and we didn't do it last night. And he he ran once. Baines went out. Uh, we were really in trouble. And I don't know if you saw the thing today. He has a, a, a level two ankle sprain. He's going to be out four to six weeks. Uh, he's going to miss the beginning of the playoffs. And we don't. Who's our backup after Baines? I mean, we have nobody. We never made that signing that everybody hoped we would make. You wanted Dennis Cantor. You've always liked Dennis Cantor. Well, or somebody, somebody who could come in and play center and eat up some minutes. And and we don't have that guy. The um, chemistry's been better since, like, when I was in Boston and went to that Portland game. They had that plane trip. Everybody talked about it. it. I think I like everything Kyrie's been doing from a leadership standpoint the last couple of weeks. He certainly hasn't given any dumb interviews on the court. He's a lot more engaged and just seems like a better teammate. Um, and I agree with all that. More, I mean, he, and he more literally. He had some appropriate comments in the paper today. He, he had a bad last two minutes. He, he did. He somewhat tried to take over the game. Yep. He missed five of his last six shots. And uh, certainly three or four of them were very makeable. But he also took a couple shots that, you know, with 20 seconds left on the clock when he could have moved the ball around. And he, he somewhat apologized in the paper for for not being more of a facilitator and trying to be a hero, win the ball, uh, the game by himself. And I thought that was encouraging. Yeah. Because that's exactly what he did. They still, the, the, the sophomore season for Tatum, I think has been of all the biggest disappointments of this season, the biggest one for me. Like, I, I don't feel like he's any better than he was last year. If anything, his shot selections a little bit worse. Like he just doesn't shoot free throws at all. He's making, it's weird. He's, he's barely, I think he's making like 0.93s a game the last, yeah. the last two months, basically. And he's getting it to is strange. I agree with you. Remember the first half of his rookie year last year? He was, I think he might have been leading the league in three throw proficiency. And now it's not as bad as when Marcus Smart shoots a three, but you kind of cringe. It's, it, it, he, they're always contested. And he, actually, even when they're not contested, you don't have any confidence in them. I have a lot of confidence when he drives to the basket, but he, he he doesn't seem to like to do that much anymore. Yeah, there were some very, some articles yeah. two days ago that he was slumping. And I I really don't feel like it's a slump because I actually watch the games. I, I think the book's kind of out on how to play him. Um, people have taken away that move that he was able to do really well last year, that, that kind of crossover Dr. J move where he ended up right. swooping from the left side. People are kind of ready for that now. And I, I feel like when you're a perimeter guy, if you're not taking a ton of threes, but you're also not getting to the line, I don't know where that leaves me with with somebody like that as a fan. Because the way basketball is being played now, you either want somebody to be to be making two and a half threes a game, or somebody that's getting to the line, um, or ideally both. Like it, James Harden would be the best example of that. But with Tatum, it's just a lot of like twenty footers and a lot of uh, pull ups and a lot of like these these post-ups that take four seconds to go. And I, I don't really understand it. And I really wonder if he's listening to them because I'm not sure he is. 
I, cause I know they talked to him about this stuff and I was, it's weird that it's not translating in the games, but you, you've gone to way more home games than I have. Oh, it's very frustrating to watch him take the 18 foot turnaround jump shot, falling away from the basket instead of, um, just a natural drive to the basket or, uh, you know, can you remember the last time he got a rebound? Uh, well, that's the other not- thing. They they have these four these four forwards basically. They have Morris and Hayward and Brown and Tatum, and they all kind of have the same stats with the sh- kind of shots they take. None of them get to the free throw line. None of them are really high volume three point shooters. Morris was for the first two months of the season, and that's it. But it's like all of them kind of bring the same thing to the table. Hayward's more of a creator, I think, for other guys than the other three. Right. But I. I, I haven't talked to you since I went to the Indiana Clipper game, which was um Monday. Well, that was a bad game for Hayward. No, no, this is the this was Clippers Indiana. This was in oh, LA. Clippers Indiana. Yeah. Okay. So I went because I really wanted to see Indiana because I know we were playing them in round one, and uh, I think that series is really going to be a problem. I I, I want to put it on people's radars now. This is an incredibly losable series for Boston because that Indiana team. They know who they are. They play nine guys. They know who the nine guys are. They have the lineups that they know they're going to play throughout the game. Everybody knows exactly what they're doing and all the guys compliment each other and they play really hard. And they have, they can go big with Turner and Sabonis together. They can go a little smaller with just Turner as a center, just Sabonis as the center if they want to go really small. They have Thad Young, who can be like a like a like a four in certain lineups and a three in other lineups. McDermott's a shooter who can spread the floor. Uh, Tyreek Evans is just a guy that's always killed us, right? I, I feel like he's had a lot of the best games of his life against the Celtics, and yeah, uh, and it's just one of those de- downhill guys with size that this team has a lot of trouble stopping. And uh, I just think the series is going to be a problem, and. Uh, and Bogdanovich, who was another guy who kills us, so yeah, I'm wor- I'd be, I, I agree with you. Um, it's a team with a lot of size. I, I don't know if Kyrie has somebody to guard on this team if they play certain lineups because he's not going to well, be able he, to guard Tyreek he, Evans. He, he'd guard Collison, their their point guard. Um, but I, I don't. My point is, I don't know if they'd be playing Collison. I think they'd want to play with size against us, and kind of make Kyrie have to guard somebody. You know, right? Versus I'd just be worried putting... about the, them on the boards because we've been a very inconsistent rebounding team all year, and that's even when we've been healthy. But you take Barnes out of the lineup, and they throw uh, a front court of uh, yeah. They put Sabonis uh, and Turner, Turner out there. Sabonis and uh, and one of their wings, and Sabonis is a terrific. I mean, his I look, I have him on my fantasy team. I look at his stats. He he, he has a you know, doubles up doubles. He's uh, he's a pretty efficient shooter too near the rim. He's your uh, kind of guy because he put he posts up. He's a good passer. His hands yeah, are around Randall. the rim. You know, I always like Randall, who is uh, obviously on the Pelicans. Uh, he's that kind of guy that three years ago it was Mal- it was um oh gosh who's the guy from Detroit that we ended up having last year at the end of the year? Oh, Greg Monroe. You always liked him yeah. too. We yeah, got him the at the end. We have we have trouble stopping. And uh, it's just been a frust- frustrating year. It's just, sometimes we look so good, and then we have these stretches where 
the other team runs off 15 straight points. Right. You're not sure what happened. You're not sure how did we, where was our defense, and how did we not score one basket during that stretch? Well, I, I thought yesterday was like the whole season in a nutshell. They looked awesome. They're up by like 15. Right. And then the third quarter, it completely, it completely falls apart. Smart gets kicked out. But turn it, the whole thing, they got eight points in a row when Marcus uh, got thrown out. You know, and I and I understand Marcus got frustrated, but you can't do that. You know, you can't play stupid ball. Yeah, that was um, that wasn't great. I'm not positive he should have been thrown out, but um, but uh, I mean, Embiid definitely wasn't looking for it. Um, oh, was 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 that a foul that didn't get called or what? Yeah, it it's seemed the replay. Yeah, Embiid definitely. It seemed like he popped him. But um, you still can't. You still can't sacrifice. You know the team on, on the behalf of, you know, pushing Embiid and showing him up a little bit. Well, I'm going to say that with that Indiana Celtics series, the, the Celtics team, if you, especially if Horford's not 100%, which I don't think he is, I think he can oh, play. Did you see him? He, he locked knees again last yeah, night. He's, he's just, I think he would have come out if Baines was healthy. He had, his knee has been a problem all year, and everybody is kind of looking the other way on it. Well, and, no, he rides the bicycle on the sidelines every time he comes out of the game. I, mean, I would pretty, I would sit him for the last 10 games because I think well, they're they locked might, into the five anyway. They might decide uh, it's not worth going full bore ahead to get home court against Indiana. It's not. They, they, may, they may feel that we can win in Indiana, which I think we can. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not telling quite you. as high on Indiana as you are. I'm telling you that series, that team's good and they know how to play with each other. And it's the type of team that has given the Celtics issues all year. Like it's those Brooklyn type of those teams that you're like, Oh, we have more talent than this team. And then the game's happening and the teams that just play really hard and know how to play with each other has been a problem all year. And I'm still dubious of uh, the Celtics team when the gut, like the last couple of years, they overachieved. You know, like Danny pointed out, he did a radio interview today and he was saying how um, that the advanced metrics for what this team is doing is actually better than the last couple of years, which makes sense to me. Like they have, they have a, a, a they're plus five as just for point differential, right? right? So if you actually look at the standings, plus five is like the fourth best point differential right now. Um, Milwaukee's plus nine. Toronto's plus 5.6, Golden State's plus 5.9, and Denver's plus 5, and we're plus 5. So we're tied for fourth with that. So what did Danny have to say about that stat? He was just like, we're, he's like, the the advanced numbers seem to say that we're going to make a run at some point. I think that that makes sense on paper, but I think what's happened with this team over and over again is what we saw last night, where they're not pulling out games like that anymore. You know, it's, if anything, we're blowing more of those types of games than winning. And during that during that last Isaiah year, they were pulling those games out of their ass. During last year, even in the playoffs, pulling them out of their ass. And right. this team does not pull games out of their ass. Well, and, that's a valid point. We had a lot of comeback victories last year. Yeah, and, and, um, and a confidence that we were going to, if it was tight right. last two minutes, that Stevens and the defense and somebody was going to make a shot and we're going to win. And now it feels like the opposite. It's an interesting phenomenon when 
you have a player like Kyrie Irving, who's obviously an outstanding ball player, but he takes over and plays differently in the last two minutes. And and it's almost like the rest of the team is standing around watching. So they, they're not, they, they play a different offense. Right. The ball stops. And the ball stops, you know, it's like a black hole, the ball stops and, but what's weird is uh, this happened with Isaiah the, in two and three years yeah, ago. It, did. it was the same thing. Except that it did happen. You're Except right. he, um, you know, I, for whatever think, reason, it didn't feel the same, but it basically was the same. Well, again, I, being repetitive, uh, the ball stops and we don't get any rebounds. So if right. the shot doesn't go in, the other team ends up on a fast break. Well, and that's that's the issue with the Indiana series is I, I think they're going to control the boards and... That Turner, I'm always surprised by how big he is in person because you think of him as like just this athletic, skinny guy. But he's like a legit 7-1. Right. And he's got size and length. And Sabonis would be really a, a, a five on just about any team, but sometimes they play them together. I well, don't you think... and I, we both liked Sabonis when he came out of, in the draft. Yeah, and it was he's sad watching him. Something kind of player. It was sad watching him on OKC that year because they just didn't know how to use him. Right. And then um, Indiana definitely knows how to use him. But who who's the best player you've seen in person this year? Because you've been to like 15, 20 Celtic games. Yeah. Um, Giannis? Yeah, Giannis. But you, I, you I went to see, you better. saw Harden too. Yeah, I'd say Giannis. Um, I, I, you know, Harden... I just thought Giannis was totally unstoppable. Yeah. You know, he, he, if he gets to the foul line, it seems like he could take one step and he's at the rim. Right. Uh, and, and also, you know, we have people who can try to guard hard. We have nobody who can try to guard Giannis. Who, who's going to play Giannis? We had Horford and Giannis. And yeah. Now, now, that, now that they have Lopez as their center, and Lopez draws who's ever on him out, you know, unless you're going to let him shoot those uh, three-pointers all, all game long. Giannis is very scary. And actually, it's kind of funny that the guy that killed us last year was not Giannis, even though we beat them. It was Middleton. It was Middle, Middleton. Yeah. We had nobody to guard Middleton. So you throw him into the loop. And as I've heard you say in another uh, podcast, Bledsoe's having a real good year. Yeah, he was our um, secret weapon last year. So that, you know, I'm not thinking that far ahead because that would be in round two. Uh, I don't see home court in round two against Milwaukee is really scary. I don't see a real scenario for this team to win three straight rounds unless Tatum has some sort of breakthrough. Well, you're talking also most probably, or at least the way it's looking now, three straight rounds where they don't have a game seven. Yeah, and look yeah. at last year, like that team, the home court advantage saved them last year. I think they were eleven and zero before that last Cavs game. Um, you know, it, yeah, I was it's... looking at the uh, standings today, and I know this is kind of silly, but Detroit wasn't very far behind us. Yeah, I know uh, they're only five back in the last column. Yeah, yeah. And I, Stevens, in the interview after the game, talked about actually might have been uh, before the game that he wants to rest people the rest of the season, particularly Horford with the uh, screwed up knee. Yeah. And now he has no Baines. And, uh, Time Lord. Time Lord's and, happening. Huh? Robert Williams, Time Lord. Might be time. I thought but, he might be play, 
play him last night when we were getting killed on the boards and Baines went out. I've come but, uh, to trust your instincts on the young guys over the years since the Allah Abdel Nabi year when you you locked out on Al Abdel Nabi in the first two weeks of his rookie season no, because it was in the, the first two minutes of his of his first game. You, when he, he he's out on the court and uh, he should be totally into the game, and all of a sudden he's looking up, waving at somebody in the crowd. Yeah, he was waving at somebody behind you, and you were out. You were like, that's it. That guy's never making it. (laughs) (laughs) He's waving at somebody in the crowd, and it's his first chance to be on the court. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't feel that way about Robert Williams, by the way. That's good. That's why I asked. You you kind of like Robert Williams. He's just not ready. He's uh, his defense. He doesn't switch on defense correctly. And uh, which makes him a nightmare when he's out there yeah. against the smart center. Well, can I put something else on your radar to bum you up? <laughs> I, I don't know. Is it does it have to do with the Celtics? Yes. Okay. You know, how we have that Memphis pick. Well, we only have it if it's in, if it's the top seven, right? Well, Memphis has been going all out to win these games because they want to convince. They want to convey the pick this year. So if if they're if they can get to the eight spot and that pick ends up being eight, the Celtics have to take it. If if they're in the top seven, then so it we, rolls over next up, year, which is what we want. So if we have to take it, it would be the ninth pick in the draft. It would be the eighth pick. Is it top eight or top it's top eight protected? Right? Top eight, but yeah. So, so we, if so it's we, the ninth pick, we lose it. So right now they're seventh worst. They're twenty nine and forty two. Which means if if they're one of the eight worst teams, it rolls over. Next Memphis year. keeps their pick, and it rolls over the next year when it's top five protected, which would be a better yeah, pick okay. for us. So, so what's the matter with that? Well, Memphis is trying to win. Is my point. And right now they're in the seventh spot, but. They're only like a game behind Washington and a game and a half behind the Lakers. Like they're really, and they're the, out of those three teams, they're the team that's actually trying to win. And there's just a chance. So they're 29 and 42. The Wizards are 30 and 42. So they're only right, a half game ahead. That, that conceivably we could have the ninth pick in the draft, the 14th pick in the draft, the Clippers pick and our own pick. Yeah, and guess what? The last team, last thing the Celtics need are just more picks and young guys to clog the rotation. Like right. they really need this pick to roll over. But between the Lakers, Pelicans, and Wizards, none of those teams are trying anymore. I think that I think that Memphis pick is going to get conveyed. So unless they can try to trade up with, I mean, the good news is I guess that's another pick to give up for Anthony Davis if the Pelicans want two hundred picks for Anthony Davis. I don't know. Uh, well. Conceivably, it'd still have four picks to convey for a trade, but let's say so. Let's uh, say we had all four of those picks. Yeah, would you trade Tatum, Smart, and all four of those picks for for uh, Davis? Only if Kyrie resigned. Okay, um, I never would have said that at the beginning of the season because I was so high on Tatum. Mm. Um, but I think he's flatlined a little bit. This Wait a year. second. Like, We're doing this wrong. Somebody from the Pelicans might be listening. I still think oh. Tatum is completely untradeable. I would never <laughs> trade him in any trade. That'd well, be nuts. I would say, I would say Dell is, is, is listening, but he probably is listening because 
He doesn't have a job anymore. He's in, he's, wow, that, yeah. was, that was cold. <laughs> yes, well. Jesus. Uh, Shots fired at poor Del Demps. Um, yeah, so that that's another thing. Really, the only good thing that's happened to the Celtics this season is the Lakers going down in flames again, which has brought me delight. And LeBron picking basically the wrong team. LeBron killed us year after year after year for this entire decade. And uh, and then finally made the wrong choice. And they're poor and run. I just wish LeBron had gone to the Lakers like three years ago. <laughs> yeah, that would have been easier for, easier yeah. for us. Well, uh, although, I mean, you live in Los Angeles. Uh, people had such high expectations for the LeBron Laker team. Not they anymore. The people have, the yeah. people are out. They they're just kind of looking ahead to the summer. Um, yeah. You're. We should mention you're way more excited about the Bruins right now. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm always on the Bruins bandwagon. No, no, but I'm saying like this specific Bruins team. You've really, really, really gone. This is a very likable team. You, yeah. you know, you talk about chemistry. Yeah. Uh, this team really, they have, everybody has everybody else's back. They, they have, they have, when um, Pasta came back, uh, Pasternak, night before last. Um, and uh, now they're slowly getting other people back. Krug's coming back from concussion protocol. And they, they have a lot of depth when they're all healthy and they have two pretty good goaltenders. So, yeah. I mean, they have, what do they have? The second best record in hockey? Or, and we've also had two guys have challenged Chara in the last like two months. Suicide mission. Why, did, well, why does one, anyone fight Chara? I mean, it's, I'm always I, amazed I when it happens. the last one when uh, Martin challenged him. And they, yeah. But it was, it was kind of funny. Chara interview, was interviewed after the game and he said, you know, I, I really respect, I respect Martin. He, I mean, Martin is a big kid. He's six foot three, yeah. if I recall. But he said, you know, that team needed a spark. And Martin said to me, my team needs a spark. Are you willing to go? And uh, Chara said, sure. And uh, I mean, he knew he knew Chara was going to beat him, but he did what he needed to do for his team. And it was a pretty good fight. They both got a couple of punches in there. He's like, my Old team, hockey. my team needs a spark. Can you punch me 20 times in the head and I'll get in <laughs> well, three? I, I don't <laughs> I don't think he expected uh, that it would go the way it went quite so easily, but Chara has that reach. I mean, he's about eight feet tall. He's, un he's the most unstoppable fighter. I always wonder, right. like, if he was in UFC, what would happen? I guess they, the guys would be more mobile, but it's, I, it, it just I, always seems like a mistake it, to challenge him. It reminds me, I, I know this is a segue, but last night I had nothing to do. I was watching Cinderella Man. I might have seen it before, <laughs> but there's a stretch there where Max Beer has his he has his hand out and he and he's holding Braddock, and Braddock can't swing at him. Yeah, um, and it was the same thing with Chara and Martin, and it, it was it was fun to watch, and you kind of knew what the outcome was going to be, and it motivated both teams, but not enough for the Bruins to lose that game. Well, you're very confident. Yeah, I'm, on the, I'm on the bandwagon. No, you're always on the bandwagon. Yeah. The question, well, I'm going to be jumping on the bandwagon in April, but you're, you actually watch regular season Bruins games in like October, November, December. Are you, I do. I, do you care that we don't have a closer? Oh, now you, you segue to Red Sox. Yeah. I don't, I don't get why we don't have a closer. Um, they keep, <laughs> I'm laughing. They, they keep trying to trump up Embry and Barnes and, you and I know what happens when they come into tense situations. Well, Hembry, I, I don't, I don't get that at all. The uh, 
Barnes and Brazier, it's a little more realistic, but still. So this has happened. I looked it up. This has happened two times this century. 2012, that was the Alfredo Aceves year. And he went two and 10. And that was the Bobby Valentine team, I think. And then- That was the uh, relieving by committee, closing by committee. Yeah, it didn't go well. And then uh, 03, I'd forgotten about this. I I actually had blocked it out of my mind. They tried to do the Alan Embry, Mike Timlin, a little Chad Fox. All three never happened, so. Well, you know what else never happened? Do you remember who we traded for to close the closer gap? You might have blocked this out of your mind. No, I don't remember. Bung Young Kim. Oh, yeah, I did block that out of my mind. You did. I think we both went to uh, electroshock therapy to get that out of there. <laughs> but yeah, so that those were the two times this century. Um, 03, the second worst ending to a Red Sox season ever. And then, Do you think uh, they're putting their eggs in this uh, 19-year-old basket? The... Uh, the guy that has the really long, strange first name might be from the Dominican or Venezuela. No, I, I think I think they think the team is so good that they're in a staring contest with Kimbrell. And like May 1st, he comes back for a reduced price. They still have they still have like the highest payroll in the major league baseball. I know they do. So um, it's not it's not like they're like cutting costs. I think they just looked at it. By the way. You're on the record multiple times last year saying if they if Kimbrel pitched another season for the Red Sox, you would have to like up your heart medication. Oh, well, I'm not looking for them to re-sign Kimbrel. I just don't understand why they didn't re why they didn't sign somebody else. I, I'm not a I'm not on the Kimbrel bandwagon, but now there's, he's like the only car in the parking lot. But uh, well, what about the guy me- from the Mets with the three PED suspensions? I was kind of excited for that guy. I was. Could have him and Josh and, Gordon. We just have our have two teams hinged to guys who might get negged he, out at any got time. Lit, he got lit up a little bit yesterday. Um, Meha, is that how you say his name? Um, yeah, something like measure. But I, don't I even think know. he's trying really hard to not have a fourth situation arise. So he might be okay. Well, when you've had four PD suspensions, it's really hard. It stops looking like an accident at that point. It really starts looking <laughs> no, like. By the way, Dad, <laughs> Kyle's here. Um, Kyle's all in on the Josh Gordon comeback in case you were looking for the one person in your life that is ready well, to forgive thought, Josh Gordon and trust him again. It's he's right next to me. Well, cause I, if I remember last year, Kyle offered that he would live with Josh Gordon. <laughs> yeah. He did. He'd be part of, part of his entourage Still on the table. Still on the table. <laughs> yeah. You know, he'd be part of the group that watched him when, when he had to be watched, but, uh, you're, Which is a scary thought. I'm 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 not all in on it too. I I was glad to see that they locked him in for one more year. Um, well, you I know you love drafts when we have this many picks. I know you probably have, have a board picks. already. I'm really I'm I'm excited, except that I'm not excited because you and I are gonna probably be on the phone during the draft screaming because Belichick traded down again, and yeah. we ended up with guys we never heard of instead of the guys that were. We were hoping to get, and yeah. Well, I know you're going to have a quarterback at some point that you've that you've uh, honed in on as our QB of the future. Yeah, I'm excited for that. I haven't decided which one I want yet. You have have to to announce that on the pod. I think you have to come on and tell us who who your guy is, who you're backing. Yeah, Uh, I mean, 
there are rumors out there, as you know. Um, I'm not sure that they're going to. I can't see the Patriots spending their first round pick on a quarterback for the future. No, I, I think it'll be second or third round. Second I, or third. And it was crazy yeah. that they actually tried to spend money on a couple guys that, who turned them down. Like they really did go after Adam Humphreys and offered him more than Tennessee gave him, and he went with Tennessee, that, which I thought was weird. That, that was that was very that was very uh, not not only confusing, but um, like did they come in late in the game? I, mean, I think they did. I know from yeah, so why come in late in the game? You know, you need a receiver. I mean, he had been rumored as a a guy that the Patriots liked, and he liked the Patriots, and suddenly they're the second team to go after him, and he's already made a commitment, and, you know, he he kept his word and kept his commitment, but uh, it was very strange, I thought. My guess is that they're, like, when they traded for Brandon Cooks two years ago, my guess is something like that is coming. I'm I'm very very focused on the AJ Green unsubstantiated rumors, which nobody seems to have any inside info that any of this is actually true. But it started on the internet, which means it has to be true. Um, AJ Green would be really exciting. Yeah, the, the, I've seen two rumors about wide receiver trade. One is the AJ Green that's Cincinnati. Cincinnati team is going nowhere. Yeah, we'll um, let's have some picks. Give us AJ Green. We'll give you some picks. It'll be great. Right. And the other guy who uh, I've never been that high on is that a- Angela from Philadelphia. Um, oh, Aguilar? <laughs> Aguilar. Yeah. Could you come, a- Angela? Well, Aguilar? no, a- Angela. I got it mixed up with the uh, Yankee third baseman. Nelson um, Aguilar. Yeah, they're yeah. similar sounding names. Yeah. Uh, he, he's a, He's been another rumor up here about the trade. Uh, that 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 leaves me cold. AJ Green gets me excited though. AJ Green would get me excited, although he, he does get hurt a lot, doesn't he? Are you excited that Ryan Fitzpatrick is in the AFC East? I was I was excited to have him back. I I didn't realize I saw something that he's now this he when once he starts he'll be a starter as a quarterback on eight different teams. Yeah, it's a new record, a NFL record. Yeah, congrats. That's pretty. Yeah, and actually. His history is that for five or six games, he's unbeatable. Yeah. And, and then he reverts back to form. So I, I don't know when we play Miami. It's usually not in the beginning of the season. So we, I don't, we should be okay. I don't think the schedule's out yet, is it? No, it's not. But usually we don't play Miami early. Um, yeah, it looks like it's going to be another good year. Season. Um, it should be a lot of fun when Bob Kraft raises the six banner. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure what's going to happen, but. <laughs> well, it seems like he's almost home free. Bob Kraft, right? It seems I, like he's almost out of the woods with this, uh, this unfortunate well, criminal the, case. The news yesterday and today was he's filed a motion to suppress the video. Yeah. And, and uh, I don't blame him. You, you certainly don't want that video coming out. We we all we all have a visual image we don't want to have. For me, I, that, I'm just it. not watching it. I mean that that's it's pretty. You'll co- watch it. No, I will. <laughs> you're gonna, you're gonna want, you're gonna want to it. talk about it on the podcast. What are definitely, you uh, definitely not watching that. <laughs> no, Kyle's probably gonna order a copy. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna make Kyle watch it, and Kyle's just gonna tell me what happened. Yeah. Um, well, I, I hope that I hope it doesn't get released. I don't want it to ruin my visual image of the Patriots for the season. Well, now that it's at least 
there's no trafficking thing and it's just a clear rub and tug situation. Right. We really have well, to go back. You had back. told me that. You had told me the rumor was that the women were like 40s and 50s, that they they were mature women. They weren't involved with trafficking. That was just a rumor. Story, and I can't believe all the charity <laughs> money he gives. Yeah. It's, it's a bad story. Well, as the years pass, I think we'll look back at the AFC title game where clearly he wanted to get fired up for the game. He <laughs> made a stop beforehand. Then they go and they win in overtime. The guy's 78. I, I think he leaves that day and just thinks that was a great day. Really enjoyed myself. It was a good start I, to finish you know, day. And, and, and we all feel a part of it because we all watch. <laughs> We were all That's visiting true. you in, in Los Angeles and we watched the game together. And, and I won we money were, at the end because you and Uncle Bob and Uncle Don all watched Green Book after and you guys liked it so much it became clear to me it was going to win the Academy Award because the Academy is filled of old people like you. So, so you bet on Green Book for the Academy I did. The I, Oscar? I did. It was plus 350. <laughs> Bob liked it so much I was like, oh, this is definitely going to win. There's a, there's a thousand Bobs in the Oscar That's voting committee. Of, it's kind of degenerate to be betting on the winner of the Oscars, don't you think? Why? I don't know. It's aren't you a voter too? <laughs> Not in the Oscars. I'm a voter for oh, the for the All NBA. Uh, oh, okay. I thought you voted for. I, I thought that's where you got all those movies ahead of time. No, I'm in the Producers Guild. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, anyway. Um. All right. So. I don't know what we solved, but it was fun to have you on. I'm sorry, UVM lost. I was, as we were on the phone, UVM, their uh, their dream oh, season phone the part. end of the game. We, we yeah. lost. Yeah, we lost. Oh, it was a week. <laughs> so now all my hopes rest with yeah. Northeastern. Yeah, you got Northeastern, but Northeastern was the one you really cared about. Like that, that's not that far from where you live, and that's that's They're a legit. Right down the road. Yeah, that's a legit um, one. Reggie Lewis back in the day. It could have been a school that you could have gone to because they probably would have accepted you. <laughs> Wow. Shots fired. I don't know who got insulted right there. Uh, all right, Dad. I'll, uh, we'll talk to you before the Masters. Okay. Take care. All right. Bye. All right. Thanks again to Ben Stower. Thanks to my dad. Thanks to ZipRecruiter. Don't forget to go to ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. Thanks to Simply Safe. Their home security has everything you need to stop fear at the front door, including 24-7 protection with security experts on standby to send the authorities in an emergency Keeps working. If the power goes out, Wi-Fi goes down, burger smashes your key bed, whatever, your home can be secure always. You can know it. Try Simply Safe. See how good it feels to fear less. Go to simplysafe.com slash BS. Simply Safe with two eyes. Also, Allbirds, stylish, comfortable footwear designed for life's everyday adventures like the Allbirds. Wool runners made from wool. They look great. Designed super simple. Perfect for in the office, out in the town, at your daughter's money soccer tournament, whatever you want. Head to allbirds.com to get your very own pair of soft and cozy wool runners right now. Uh, if you want college basketball talk, listen to One Shining Podcast produced by probably three beers in him, nephew Kyle. <laughs> I hope at night, honest. maybe seven beers, who knows? Uh, Titus and Tate, they'll be with you. We'll do some stuff on social as well. So we will be there. We have the uh, written pieces on ringer.com and we're ready to help and to help you enjoy the tournament that much more. Uh, enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the madness. Enjoy wasting time and watching television. Until Sunday. <laughs>